The Muppets. I also love the Muppets. Pro sex. Yeah. And I don't know. I can't mix the two. No, I don't have sex with the Muppets. No. But I believe that Miss Piggy would especially be pro cunnilingus. Um. Yeah. Right. Like uh, she would openly demand it, like in front of guests, and make people uncomfortable. <laughs> Which is thematically appropriate to her. It is. You're awful close to that candle. All right. You sure? It looks close from here. Well. If I have a Michael Jackson moment, we'll find out. <laughs> I'll just spin till it goes out. That's what he did. Yeah, you don't have a lot of room to spin. I don't need a lot of room to spin. Okay. Uh... I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't either. I mean, it's true. You technically don't need a lot of room to spin. Well, no, but you are next to a mattress. Yeah, I'm between a mattress and a television entertainment center and a microphone and a chair that I'm sitting on. Everything so is flammable. It's pretty much, well... Yeah, I mean, eventually. Eventually, most things are flammable. I guess so. Both the cats are in here today. Yeah, Nugget's putting on a show here for the mayor. Oh, he's, like, really making the floor smell like him. Yeah. He's just, like, grinding his shoulders and everything. He's swimming. Yeah. It's adorable. Yeah. I was looking for a big rock to use as a prop, but I was like, I don't think I have anything. I might have, like, a cinder block, but that's off-brand. This hey. this director's real into that kind of thing. Like, uh, snow globes, also. They did Unfaithful, didn't they? Yeah, Adrian Lyne, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's, uh, he also, well, that, we'll get to it. Mm. Um, I want to, the they're sort of doing a face-off. I can't tell if they're both in the room or not, because they're, like, around the corner. My room has a corner. Lobby freaking da. Guys, this, can't, this show isn't about you. Can't hijack my show, it's rude. Get your own fucking podcast. I'll produce it. It's fine. Well, it's all because Nugget's been fucking the mayor's wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nugget's a fucking tech billionaire. <laughs> I invented a ship. That's what I imagine he sounds like. That's for, for people that don't know me. That's the voice of 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 Jericho, aka Nugget. He's like, yeah, how's it going? I invented a ship. Don't they use that ship to like kill children in Saudi Arabia? I mean, they just use it to to find hungry children and feed them. Yeah, but they don't. No, they don't. I think the mayor. That's the mayor. Well, because Nugget's fucking the mayor's wife, so the mayor is the one who designed the tech. Oh, that's true. The mayor is. Yeah. My my the mayor voice is just very all business, and I've been told it sounds like Barack Obama. Yeah, a little bit. It's very like, hello, I'm the mayor. Oh yeah, it's it's the cadence. Yeah, it's the cadence more than because like it's not deep as deep as no. Obama's very deep. Yeah, it's no. It's very hello. It's also a little bit more clipped. Yeah, that's but true. the mayor's very like, hello, I'm the mayor. Yeah. <laughs> I've come for scritches. That's like that's what I this is what I do at the I narrate their inner thoughts like uh, like David Attenborough. Oh, I've created an entire personality for my cats. Oh yeah. And then I quote them like even when they're not around the things I've decided they would say. Yeah. Then I start quoting the the cats. <laughs> it's, it's very insular. <laughs> yeah, super insular. We had sort of decided that Livy is one of those cats who just says no to everything. So everything is just like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> and so, like, anytime we're doing anything and I don't want to do it, I just quote what I think the cat sounds like. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Hello? It's my doorbell. Do we have a visitor? Who's here? Maybe it's Ben Affleck. Maybe it's Martin Short. Maybe it's Martin Short. Oh, the train's here. <laughs> They're all on the train. Come on, ride the train. 
Could you splice that in right around here? <laughs> I've <laughs> little, told you. Little Vagabus Vega bu- is going. Vagabus is going. I've told you one of my favorite, like, never gets the This is such a stupid sentence. <laughs> it never gets the respect it deserves, but the parliament version of the locomotion. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say parliament Funkadelic? I'm, I'm an idiot. It's Grand Funk Railroad. That's my bad. It's still train related. It is still train related. <laughs> This is, it's so fucking heavy, dude. Is it? Yes. If you actually listen to it, like when the bass comes in, it's just like, it sounds like the fucking, like the funkiest end of the world. I'm cutting this out. I can't, because I'll probably get sued for this. You crazy for this one, Jay. It's your boy. Oh! <laughs> So fucking heavy. <laughs> like there are metal bands that people are like, oh, I bet they burned down a church or whatever that are, aren't as a tenth of how heavy this fucking song is. Uh, Martin my, Short Train. That was my, yeah, that was Martin Short Train. It showed up. Grand Funk was on it. And now we've left. And now um, the Vegabus is coming. The Vegabus. It, it's always coming. It's always out there. The Vegabus is always. Like Miss ju- Piggy on your shirt? <laughs> <laughs> always coming always coming oh my god deep water deep water hey this we is... didn't have a bit but we do have a segue well we haven't seen each other in like two weeks so yeah, we're catching up shooting the shit that's true Breaking, just dusting the cobwebs off shaking the sheets that's filthy no it just needs to freshen up is that what that means yeah hmm. I always thought that I don't know it's a Ted Leo album interesting shake the sheets good album but yeah I always thought it was like you know just shake them up like uh, it's like when you like you're wearing a t-shirt and you just like fluff it like okay yeah maybe just to like let it settle again yeah all right i'll go with that yeah it's like it's like febreze but not corporate branded <laughs> we're not affiliated no 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 if febreze would like to sponsor the show please send an email to w-r-i-t-e-h-w-g-w at gmail.com you can get that link through our link tree l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash h-w-g-w we are open to corporate sponsorship. We would be more than happy to pretend to like your product. Yeah. I use, well, let's say I use a thing that is not unlike Febreze mm-hmm. because it is cheaper. But if I was <laughs> paid by Febreze and perhaps they sent me some free samples, I would use that then. Uh, fresh linen, please. We would be more than happy to interject with a small advertisement. Oh, yeah. I wanted years ago, like when we first started, it's like we should do a bit in the middle where we do a fake commercial. I was just going to say that. And do like, this is what your commercial could sound like. Yeah. And we just like riff. Yeah. But we just never, it never seemed like the right movie, honestly. I was like, oh, maybe we'll do a movie that's like tangentially about advertising or something. We could have, we could have ran with it with gossip. I guess we could have, yeah. You know what I heard about South Street Art Market? You know what I heard? (laughs) Yeah, like that's the thing is like, if we, if we did establish this, then yes, we would have to do more bits. But, you know, if we're getting paid, I'll do a little more work. Deep water. Well, let's just, hello, excellent humans. Yep. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Hate Watch, Great Watch. I'm your co-host, Hunter Bush, with me as always, sometimes, as sometimes always. Sometimes always. Tina Dillon. Welcome back. Thank you. We were trying to figure out what to uh, what to do, and, mm-hmm. and I sent you, like, a short list. Yeah. And you narrowed it down to, like, two. Yes. 
And, um, yeah, this was one of them. And I was kind of excited about this because I, it's come up on the show before, but like, I'm a big fan of the nineties erotic thriller, mm-hmm. erotic thriller. I was talking about this with Allison yesterday, rewatching the movie, but erotic thrillers existed, you know, before the nineties and they've existed since, but I, I feel they peaked in the nineties. Not only the frequency of them, the just a, the amount of things that you could classify as an erotic thriller, but their prevalence in popular culture. Like, I knew about Basic Instinct, Fatal Attraction, Disclosure. Like, I knew the plots of these films and the twists and the just general, like, appearance of them and, like, what the characters looked like and everything because they were advertised on primetime TV. Yeah. You know? I mean, they've also become referenced very heavily in pop culture in general. Oh, definitely. Everybody yeah. knows about Boiling the Bunny. Right. Everybody knows Boiling the Bunny. Everybody knows Sharon Stone crossing and uncrossing her legs. Right. Like. And those are huge moments, but, like, a lot of movies have big moments. Yeah, but those get really carried through everything. And I, I really think it had to do with culturally where we were at with regards to talking about sex in the 90s. Well, it really blew up then. And we talked about this before on the podcast. Yeah. Actually, we might have talked about it on the gossip episode. Yeah, I think it was probably yeah. gossip. But we really had gotten to the point where we were very openly talking about sex on television in the 90s. Yeah, and sex that and was sexuality. A big deal. Yeah, I mean, like, TLC, famously, like, they would just wear multicolored condoms. Right. Like, as part of their outfits. And that was, like, scandalous. Yeah. Because that was the thing, like, you couldn't talk about condoms. Condoms were like, a, you can't show that commercial before 10 p.m. Mm-hmm. Like, which is crazy. And then, and then people are like, why are there so many teen pregnancies? It's like, well, because you never show the fucking commercials before bedtime. Well, right. Also, I mean... We've only just recently, within the last couple of years, even started allowing, (laughs) this one gets me, allowing advertisements for feminine hygiene products that show red liquid. Oh yeah, it had to be blue. It had to be blue? Because like, God forbid we know women bleed. Ladies, did you get your crazy alien ink blood period? (laughs) It's like, aw, you just wasted that whole freeze pop. (laughs) Like. I'm gonna suck it out of that pad. I like that's, freeze pops. That is somebody's kink. Oh, it definitely is. And no shame. If that's your thing, I don't want to hear about it. No, we don't yuck your yum here. No, no, no. It's just it's unless not my it's yum. illegal. Yes. <laughs> that's not yucking a yum. Fair. Yeah, it's like <laughs> like I'll I'll even go so far as to be like we're all on the same fucking even keel that is yucking your yum, but I don't think we're like public enemy number one of yucking your yum. <laughs> Because it is illegal, so you could probably go talk to the courts. Like, yeah, that's true. Why are you okay. yucking my yum? <laughs> why are you yucking my yum? Oh, boy. Exactly. We're not public enemy number yum. No. <laughs> <laughs> public enemy number yum is pretty good. That should be a t-shirt. That should be a t-shirt. <laughs> it's fucking, it's, it's the, like... Line up like wanted photo, fucking uh, what do they call those? Uh, mugshots, yeah, yeah. It's the mugshots of like you and me and Allison <laughs> just looking like disappointed, like, mm, Mm-mm. no, it's the face, <laughs> it's the face we made for the smokers, <laughs> yeah, Mm-mm. thumbs down. <laughs> I'm holding this, that's the first time I held the DVD. Uh-huh. In the group photo because I was like, this is what it looks like, thumbs down, don't yeah, even, don't even pick it up. The the more widespread and open discussion of sex and sexuality in the 90s was, mm-hmm. you know, reflected in, in entertainment. That, that always happens. You know, wh- where we're at and what we're talking about is reflecting your entertainment. Not that even that the ideas are now more 
you know, skewed in a certain way, but just that, like, a studio is more likely to be like, hey, this is a thing people are talking about. I'm sure that movies with, like, viral, you know, things in it were always about as common, but in the 80s, when we were starting to, like, really openly talk about the AIDS epidemic, it became, like, a thing that studios were more likely to be like, oh, let's let's do this one. Like, this is a hot topic, you know? Right. Um, I mean, everybody always likes to kind of err on the side of controversy, too, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything that, It gets anything people's that, attention. Right, anything that raise, moves the needle a little bit. Like, right. I was coming of age in the 90s. I was born in the early 80s, so in the early 90s, through, through the 90s, I was, like, hitting my teens. Mm-hmm. So the, the, all these things that were, like, ooh, like, kind of naughty and forbidden, which is, like, talking about sex. Like, you know, my, yeah. my parents were both, like, uh, they, they're not Puritans. You know, I have friends who's probably still haven't had the talk. Yeah. Despite being in their 30s, uh, they picked it up from, I don't know. I had a friend who asked me things. And I was like, dude, you know I don't know shit. <laughs> I was like, we're both huge dorks. I've never touched a girl. Yeah. No, I didn't really get a talk. My mom threw a book at me. Oh, yeah. One of those. Yeah, like, yeah. if you have any questions. And then, but like, and I was sex too Sex education young. in the country is like abysmal. Right. I was too young for the book. My mom decided to give it to me when I got my period. Sure. And, like, women get their period... Yeah, any time in there. ...way before they're really ready to talk about sex. Uh, I was it's nine, it's a, so... Oh, my God, yeah, that's so early. So, like, I don't want to read about... I was, like, so mortified and embarrassed and uncomfortable. Yeah. And I didn't want to read about it. And so I, like, just gave her the book back. And she's like, I don't want you to learn about it on the street like I did. Which, in my head as a nine-year-old, I was like... What did my mom do? <laughs> I thought she was like a prostitute. Like I was like, what does that mean? See, in my head, your mom was in a greaser gang, and she's like, hey, yo, hey, big hawk, or whatever, oh, some God. fucking some nickname. Hey, big hawk, uh, what you know about uh, you know, looks around shiftily, periods, <laughs> right? And he's like, they're blue. <laughs> they look like I Windex. know that they're blue. They look exactly like the blue raspberry ice pop. Also, that is all I know. <laughs> that's how we got to yuck your yum, sucking yes, it out of a it. pad. Yeah, 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 you're right. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, like I, I never sleep. Well, I, I, I'm better now. I'm not fixed, but I'm better about it now. But I, you know, I didn't have, a, I didn't have responsibilities as a, as a, a child and a teen. So I was up all night. Yeah. I'll go to school, fucking super sleep deprived, and still do fine, and then come home after school and sleep. Uh-huh. And then I wake up, I'd stay up all night, and then you know, yada yada yada. Here I am. I'm a podcaster now, so. You too can be sponsored by Febreze. <laughs> Have you been up all night? Haven't had time to shake the sheets? Well, Febreze. Um, um, so I'd watch, you know, these erotic thrillers as they, like, came piecemeal to HBO and whatever. Mm-hmm. And I saw a lot of these movies, and I like them. Like, yeah, they were the million-dollar movies. A lot of, yeah. like Remember those? Yeah, I do. <laughs> you knew you were up late when the million-dollar movie came on? Yes, and it was mo- it was usually things from like the seventies. Yeah, but there were some erotic thrillers in there. In fact, the first pair of boobs. Have I talked about this on the podcast? No, please tell me about your first pair of Pretty boobs. Pretty sure I saw Jamie Lee Curtis's boobs in a million dollar movie. Okay. But I, thinking back on it now, I don't know if they showed nudity in the million dollar movie because that was public television. Yeah, I guess you're right. That's the way I remember it. Yeah. Was watching the million dollar movie. Well, it might have been something like, uh, I think she's topless in Trading Places. She is. Yeah. Right? So maybe they just cut that, like, the actual nipple, like, seconds maybe. out. So you got, like, the obviousness of nudity, but they just cut the, you know, quote-unquote offensive part out. 
Right. I just watched Fatal Attraction for, like, the first time all the way through as an adult. Yeah, I don't think I have. It was on, but, like, for its reputation, I know as a kid I turned it off being like, this isn't... uh, You were looking for a lot of boobs. I was hormonal. Right. And I was like, let me see something. Right. And this didn't really have... They had one, like, love scene where I totally forgot this. They actually have sex on money on a bed, like that cliche. Oh, yeah. While, like, a fucking Sade song plays. It's like the whole I mean, that's that's pretty hot. It's all the cliches, and it's so funny. Yeah. Well, listen, Sade makes the music for you to shake the sheets to. Definitely. Deep water. We're in the deep water now. Yeah, must be in the water now. What's that? Isn't there a Dave Matthews? Don't drink the water. It's like a late Dave Matthews There's hit. blood in the water. What? There's blood in the water. Is that Dave Matthews? Yeah, I think it's like his solo stuff after like... It's dark. It is. Yeah. But yeah, let's talk about the movie. So I'll, I'll do this right up front. It's okay. from director Adrian Lyne. It's from 2002. It's an hour and 56 minutes and it is rated R. Mm-hmm. So welcome back to the show, Adrian Lyne. There's another welcome back to the show. Oh, there's uh, three. Oh, I know one for sure. Okay. Well, let me do Adrian Lyne, then let's find out what's yours is. Welcome back to the show, Adrian Lyne, director of Deepwater. Uh, he was also the director of episode 70, Flashdance. Oh, shit, really? Yeah. Interesting. Who, what's your welcome back? Our buddy Dash. Dash my hawk. Do you know what two episodes he was on? Uh, Foxfire, Romeo and Juliet. That is correct. Yeah. Episode 40, Foxfire, he's Dana Taylor, which is like one of the bullies from school. Yeah, the football and, player. Uh, and episode 74, Romeo and Juliet, he plays... Benvolio. As soon as he popped up, I went, Benvolio! Uh, Benvolio! <laughs> I normed him. <laughs> uh, and we have one more. Yeah. Yeah, welcome back to the show. Kristen Connolly, she plays Kelly in this. Okay. I meant uh, Dash My Hawk plays Jonas. He's one of the friends in mm-hmm. this. Um, she plays Kelly, which is uh, the wife of the guy that's following right. Ben Affleck. Right. She is from episode 46, which you were on, The Happening happening yeah who is she in that oh you'll remember this character woman reading on bench oh i will remember that character believe it or not right it's not a descriptive (laughs) name no but you know exactly who that is she's the woman that like a hair chopstick oh Uh, again my joke with dash my hawk is that's the star wars name it totally is it is 100 percent. he should show up in a star war as, as Dash Myhawk. Yeah. He should be like a bounty hunter or a bartender or whatever the fuck. He'd be anything. Yeah. But just like, don't give him, like, maybe give him like, do some Star Trek shit. Like, give him like pointy ears or like a wrinkly forehead or like cheek gills or something like where he looks a little bit not human. Yeah. But still like named Dash Myhawk. Yeah. And that would be so fun and a thing like forever that would be cool. It would. I agree. Like Dash Myhawk was played by a guy named Dash Myhawk. It's like, yeah, they named the character after him because that's a Star Wars name. It is. I like him in this a lot. He's good. They, they uh, all give, the friends are great. They give good co- uh, comedic relief on the side where it's needed. This ca- The casting in this is great. Yeah. Uh, everybody does what they're hired to do here really, really well. We also have Lil Rel Howery. Yeah, that's his little like sidekick buddy. Yes, uh, whose name in this is Grant. Jonas? Dash is Jonas. Also, in case you're wondering about, you know yums and all that there's a lot of free feet in this did you catch up there kind of is yeah you're right a lot of close-ups of feet and ben affleck is barefoot like 90 percent of the movie yeah everybody in this is like not rich rich i mean ben affleck is but like everybody's like well to do yeah so there's a lot of like garden parties and pool parties and everybody fucking like being drunk in the afternoon but this is a pretty steamy movie but not as steamy as you'd think no it's like 
maybe it's editing choices or so this movie has kind of a troubled history it was produced and then acquired by i believe it was fox during one of the mergers that happened in the last like two or three years and it was like finished and ready to roll out around the time of uh lockdown or maybe it was finished during lockdown but you know had been filmed before uh, as far as i understand and like it just got a kind of a non-release release on hulu I had heard about it. Adrian Lyne hadn't directed anything since Unforgiven, which was like 10 or 12 years ago or whatever. Like 2010 or something. Unfaithful? Unfaithful, or... yes. It was Unfaithful, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's um... Richard Gere and somebody, right? Yeah, yeah, that's where he breaks the snow globe over the guy's head. Yeah. So yeah, I just, I knew it had been like a little bit of a gap for Adrian Lyne. Oh, 2002, even earlier. Oh, okay. So It's it had... definitely a very similar vibe, that movie, to this one. Sure. And like I said, like, uh, Adrian Lyne does a lot of erotic thrill. I mean, like, like I mentioned, Flashdance. Not an erotic thriller, but... Definitely it, erotic, though. It has eroticism in it. Like, I mean, it has it's, sex, like... It's one of the most well-known erotic pop culture moments where she, like, you know, pulls, pulls the water. The water yeah. and, it's, yeah. It is, a no pun intended, naked sexuality. It's right. just, like, pure sexuality on stage in a way that is not uh, manipulative or exploitative. Right. Like... And then they have, like, a very sexually charged romance in that film. Yeah. Like, that tracks with this. He directed the 1997 version of Lolita, Indecent Proposal, Jacob's Ladder, which is not erotic, um, and Fatal Attraction is also him. And, and Nine and a Half Weeks, also very steamy. Oh, yeah, he's got a collection of them. Yeah, so this was, like, that's why this was on my radar before it came out. And then it came out kind of unceremoniously, and I watched it within, like, a, a week of it dropping and i was like this is good uh and i think i watched it around the same time that i watched the last duel which um is ridley scott also kind of it was rolled out i think when in some theaters it got mm-hmm. like a mild theatrical release but that's another movie they're they're both movies for adults uh the last duel is also ben affleck is in it it's, it's a it's a knight's uh you know picture. i kind of remember it and it's got a sort of um rashomon retelling events from different points of view thing Mm -hmm. it's really great like both these i watched them i was like these are really good and they it feels like a movie for adults Mm -hmm. there's adult content in both of them but not that they're like prohibitively adult like oh it's not triple x don't bring your kids i used to watch movies like this with my my mom you know whatever and like a sex scene is a sex scene whatever comes on we're both awkward for a moment and then it's fine. Right. Moving on. It's just all like, yeah, Sade and fucking yeah. crossfade cuts and right. gauzy lighting and then it's over. Um, like, I, I used to love Dean Koontz movies. I watched, I read, I made my mom rent um, Hideaway, I think it's called, which is like Jeff Goldblum is the dad in it nice. uh, who who dies temporarily in a car accident. And when he comes back, a an angel has attached itself to him so he can like see through the eyes of a serial killer. So in it, uh, 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 Jeff Goldblum and his wife, Christine Lottie. Oh. Yeah. In the middle of this movie, for no other reason than it was released in 1995, have like sex in the lotus position. <coughs> yeah, they do. Like in the middle of this movie. I'm pretty sure Goldblum does that anyway. Oh, definitely. That was his suggestion. Yeah, it that's said love vibe. scene and he was like, uh, mm, could we uh, perhaps, I'm sitting cross-legged and she uh, straddles me so that she would receive deepest chakral penetration. Uh, mm, uh. <laughs> that's really good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and the director was like, whatever you want to do. <laughs> All right, Goldblum. Whatever you want to do, Jeff. Mm, thanks. Great. Mm, love it. Mm. <laughs> 
<laughs> Thank you. I've never done a gold bloom before. Oh, yeah, well, now you need to. Reach deep down, and there was one. <laughs> Just waiting to be pulled out of you. But yeah, so I, I remember watching fucking Hideaway with my mom and her uh, like boyfriend at the time. And my mom, real awkward now. And she was like, I'm going to go check on dinner. And she like left. Mm-hmm. And he was like, he was drunk. And he's like, hey, hey, Hunter, what are they doing? And I was like, they're having sex. And he goes, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> so, yeah, speaking of eroticism in film for no reason other than it was the 90s and that was where we were at. There's no reason story-wise for there to be a lotus position sex scene in the middle of Hideaway. You know who the uh, the serial killer bad guy is in that? Who? Jeremy Sisto. Yeah? Yeah. The, Weird. The shitty boyfriend from Clueless. Yeah. There's another person in this that I can't unsee him from another role. Jake Elordi. I don't know if that's how you say Oh, yes. Uh, Elordi. Yeah, Lordy, yeah. Uh, he plays Nate Euphoria, and he's a real piece of shit. I'm sorry. Him. His name is Nate Euphoria? No, he plays Nate in Euphoria. Oh, I thought, like, I was like, is this show named after a guy named Nate Euphoria? No, no, I was like, this no. show sounds dumb as hell. No. Okay. He plays Nate <laughs> Euphoria. I'm sorry. It's okay. And I he's missed a, a keyword there. <laughs> and he's a real piece of shit. Like, a real piece of shit. Okay. If you watch it, you will hate him. And so I got a lot of joy out of watching him die in, in this. this. Yeah. Also, he's Aussie. Oh, really? Yeah, and he I hides kind it of, well. I had no idea. Nate Euphoria. Nate Euphoria. The the plot of this movie is that Ben Affleck playing Vic is married to Melinda, played by Anna de Armas. Uh, she's they were actually dating at the time. Interesting. He is a tech millionaire. Millionaire, you know, he's retired. Yeah. He's however old he's supposed to be, and he's retired. And they have a daughter named Trixie, played by Grace Jenkins, which we will get to. Uh-huh. I love her. She's she's hilarious. She's great. Yeah. Melinda is... Well, she's I, a fucking nightmare, dude. She, so what I like about this movie is that I like the first half a little bit more than I like the second half because the first half is playing more games with the audience. Mm-hmm. The second half is playing games with the characters. Yeah. And I like both a lot, actually. But the first half when you, the audience viewers, are not sure what is happening, what's true and what's not, what the power dynamic is, like, is very interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. And I watched it, I don't remember how long ago originally, like last year, mm-hmm. and then re-watching it the other day, I still really like that dynamic. Even though I know where it's going and what's, co- like, I like the shifting, like, oh, you think he's, like, passive and she's in control. And then you're like, no, maybe it's, like, to use the term, like, maybe he's kind of like a power bottom and he's, right. like... He's like, no, no, I'm controlling everything from a position of passivity. Yeah, I was trying to figure out if it was like a like a cuckolding situation or not. Right. You're not really sure. Is she just getting over on him? How much does he know about right. what she's doing? Yeah, is this his thing? And, you know, once the murder element presents itself, you know, you start to be like, oh, is this like their thing? Mm-hmm. Where she's like, our deal is I can seduce anyone I want. And he's like, cool, but I get to kill them eventually, and you don't get to tell anybody. Right. Like, and that's also interesting for, you know, like, again, half the movie, you're like, well, is that what's going on? I like, actually, I've gotten all the way through the movie, and I'm still a little bit convinced it might be. Rewatching it, that's kind of where I was the first time I watched it, mm-hmm. where I was like, ooh. Because, like, they treat the final shot like it's a twist, and it, it is, but I don't think it's as big a twist as first time watched me thought it was i think it can go either way i don't think it's necessarily a twist now having seen it twice Mm -hmm. oh i'm so sagely i've seen it twice i do think it shows a change in character for her 
I mean, I think they do get across that she's a little bit turned on by the idea that he would kill people for her. Well, do you want to just would you want to just spoil it now? Yeah, let's, let's just jump into it. What I think is, I think it's he's showing, for lack of a better term, passion. Right, and that's what she so clearly wants. Right, like she she does on rewatch make it very clear throughout the film that like he's too blasé about everything what seems like he is maintaining control and trying to keep a certain level of composure may or may not be true she's reading as disinterest right and and everything so she's i it feels like she's having affairs right in front of him blatantly to try to get a rise out of him mm-hmm. but she's also like kind of a piece of shit she's awful because not only is she doing that which is like again if that was like an agreed upon dynamic that's one thing but you also have to get the consent of your partner and okay it's pretty clear that this was not consensual right 100%. he understands that this is what she does right but he keeps making concessions for her in the way that he's like you have to just let her be who she is right and love her for who she is a lot of track is paid to like I won't try to like control her the way a quote-unquote normal man would. right so that's that again that's part of it that leads you know when you're watching it the first time, that's why I was like, oh, maybe this is their dynamic and they've agreed on this and, like, it's fucked up that they're drawing third parties in and then he's killing them. That's his, like, cake, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a perfect marriage. Uh, it's the American Gothic painting. Uh, mm-hmm. But there's no consent. He doesn't, uh, Ben Affleck doesn't consent to her having the affairs. The people she's having affairs with don't consent to then probably getting murdered. But she's doing it to get a rise out of Vic. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, he's very passive and... Again, maybe it's he's doing it to just maintain his like composure or whatever, but she's reading it as disinterest. Yeah. But she also taunts him with interest, with his interest. Oh, yes. Like, she... she's like, oh, is this you? Are you a new man now? Like, do you want to throw me on the floor and fuck me? And, he's like, and that turns him off. I mean, I think it's also a power dynamic between them. She can't have that power. Yeah. That's what turns him off. It's not just that she's mocking him. Yeah, I think it's both. And I also think that he feels like he has to do everything in his power to keep her around. And then where the passion that is lacking in their relationship comes out is in him killing these men that she develops relationships with. Because she doesn't just sleep with them. Yeah. She keeps calling them her friends. The last one, Tony, is it? Yes. She tells him she loves, loves him. him. Yeah. She's making plans to run away to Brazil with him. Yep. Shit gets wild. The thing that really condemns Tony, I, in my eyes, it's that he wants to take Trixie. That's where that's where that gets really ugly. Yeah. Up until that point, you're not 100% sure he killed anyone. No, no. Because even though there are flashbacks to him killing, is it Charles? Charlie? The piano player. Yeah. yeah. There are flashbacks to him killing him, but I was like, did he kill him or did he think about killing him? Is there, he fantasizing about killing him? There are a couple of things in this. There are these like montages where we're shown something where I'm not sure if what we're seeing is supposed to be real or not. Right. Yeah. It, it's interesting filmmaking. Uh-huh. That's their dynamic is they're not super wealthy, whatever, whatever, but like it's a well-to-do group of people. It's in New Orleans, right? That's... I think so. Yeah, that's where it takes place. They're having fucking garden parties and pool parties and shit, and they're all drinking during the day, and cotillions. There's probably a cotillion going on somewhere. And, yeah, his friends are always like, 
They're politely not mentioning, like, hey, your wife is, like, eye-fucking and, like, grinding on dudes on the dance floor and whatever. And are you cool with this? And His he... one friend kind of brings it up pretty early on. Uh, where uh, she's like, "We're is, are they yeah, fucking? It's Maria, right? Yeah, I think so. So she's great in this. Yeah. She had a lot of screen time. None of the friends really do. But... I really recognize her from something. I meant to look her up, and I don't know what she's in. Her name is, it's spelled D-E-V-Y-N, which I'm guessing might be Divine. Could be I, Devin. I, it could be Devin. That's the thing yeah. is, I tried to look it up. Like, has she been on a radio show? Right, uh, anywhere you'd talk hear her show, say anything. her name. Yeah, yeah, nothing. Couldn't find anything. So apologies, but um, it's I'll say Divine. Divine A. Tyler. Okay. She's really good in this. She's great. And I thought she was going to be a larger part when she shows up in the beginning. I kind of thought maybe they were fucking. There's... I got this weird vibe from them where I was like, oh, is this like a swingers thing? Or that they used to be together right. or something. Yeah, they, they seem to have a lot of intimacy, but it could just be a very close friendship. Like you and I. Yeah, well, that's we've, true. We've never slept together. No. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> that's only because I can't kick you. I know. I'm too far away. <laughs> My plan is working perfectly. <laughs> anyway um very long podcast tables that's trick number one yeah there's a reason <laughs> the just, reason is you shit out of my shit. <laughs> oh my god it was bad. i got stanked you've been stanked i got hooped hooped sounds it sounds like a dr seuss yeah it kind of does <laughs> timothy Clorb was kind of a boob timothy Clorb was about to get hooped <laughs> yep and we're back on boobs and hoobs. That's the name of the podcast now. Boobs, boobs and hoobs. Welcome back to boobs and hoobs in the morning. <laughs> I mean, that is a lot of our content. It really is. Boobs <laughs> and hoobs. Boobs and hoobs. <laughs> it's a t-shirt where it's all bubble letters, like seventh grade. <laughs> boobs and hoobs. <laughs> oh my God, that's good. Anyway. He, she says, like, are they fucking? And he's playful about it. He He's is. like, we should ask them, don't you think? That wasn't the, the way I thought it was going to go. So I was like, well, like maybe this is like his doing. Right. Like he maybe gets they have off an open on, relationship on or, seeing her with other men. Right. Or, yeah. Or he's like, oh, you can have an open relationship. I right. don't, you know, maybe he's like asexual. Like, yeah. Or maybe like that's just his thing. Right. Like, he just be... likes seeing his wife with other men. But yeah, this is like the s- second scene of the movie or something that we're talking it's about. It's real early on, yeah. Yeah, so it's it it's all that's very unclear. So yeah, mm-hmm. there's a lot of like potential where I'm like, oh, this is interesting for Adrian Lyon, a director that's been making movies for like 30 years plus, you know, mm-hmm. to be tackling like like unusual sexual politics. I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, I don't know how old Adrian Lyon is right now, but like, yeah, it's, it's cool when somebody who has like a deft hand at this is like, all right, I'm going to navigate this. These deep waters. These deep waters. Like, yeah, there you go. Yeah. See, I was going to say, I don't know where the name comes from. I think it's Charlie Delisle's death. I think he said when the cops. Oh, he does say that he didn't seem like a strong swimmer. swimmer and he's he's, like, he was clinging. I think he says he was clinging end. to the side of the pool in the deep water. I think it is you know, I mean, obviously metaphorical, but I think that's the like tangible part of the metaphor is the, is the pool these very specific well, and like, tony dynamics. winds up in the water and it's actually shallow water yes it's not deep enough water no which is not a great title <laughs> well then we would know more about why he lets her fuck other people yeah adrian line is like not a great title i don't know what he sounds like so <laughs> that's it not a great title don't think so he sounds like mike myers and austin powers yes hello it's me i'm adrian line i'm the director of Flashdance. <laughs> oh god okay oh, no, no big deal okay I directed nine and a half weeks. Their, their relationship and the, and the boundaries of it are opened up to us as she takes on more lovers. 
There are three in the film. There's one prior to the film. Yeah, there's one that's referenced pretty often in the beginning. Martin McRae. Already missing, and then we find out later he's dead. Yeah. They sort of do that thing that actually we talked about in Gossip, that sort of Hitchcockian thing where we don't actually know if Ben Affleck's character has killed anybody. No. Until uh, a little more than halfway into the movie. Yeah. Uh, He jokes about it, but you're not sure if he... It's just trying to scare off this guy. Right. And and first time watching this, I was watching it going like, oh, is this going to be like a, I made a joke about it and it's going to go to court. Right. That's what I thought was going to happen. And you don't know what the rules are and you don't really know what but actually I, has happened. Right. And I thought that was going to be the thing is like, he makes a joke and then he's like, I, it was just a joke or, you know, whatever. Right. So yeah, that scene is, uh, they're at like a, some kind of party mixer thing. Yeah. Melinda Anna de Armas, she's very high maintenance. There's two interactions right before they get to this party that give you a real good look at who she is. Yeah. And the first one is Trixie is playing Old MacDonald on uh, some kind of Alexa device, she says, you know, to play Old MacDonald. And she's singing it, and Melinda is screaming at her to turn it off. And then she comes downstairs and, like, really lays into her. Yeah, she turns the thing off. Yeah, she's like... she's like, Alexa, never play that shit again. Yeah. And And then as soon as she goes upstairs, Trixie's like, Alexa, play Old McDonald's Yeah. And Ben Affleck just leans in the room. He's like, you're going to drive your mom crazy. And she's like, I know. Yeah, she's really funny. And then, like, the babysitter is there. Yes. And she totally ignores the babysitter. Yeah. And she goes upstairs and she's like, come up here to Ben Affleck. And she wants him to pick out what outfit she's going to wear. And you can tell that their relationship is strained. Sort of uncomfortable. And he tells her, pauses for a long time. And she's like, you don't like either of them? And she's very aggressive with him. And he's like, I think you look beautiful in the dress you're wearing. And then she makes this face, this very proud face. And yeah, she's it, like, it seems really? like she's fucking with him. And yes. she's like, oh, that's cute. Like, Yeah. And then she says, what shoes should I wear? And he was like, the ones I bought you in New York, the black ones. The black ones, yeah. And she said, go get them then. Yeah. And then he stands there for a minute and she goes, please. And then he goes and gets them and he's literally putting her shoes on her feet. He is on the ground putting her shoes on. Yes, free feet. Like she's got stockings on oh, yeah. and he's like, and it's it's sensual. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing I wanted to talk about in regards to this film. This film is extremely sensual and not just in the sexual erotic way. No. It's very tactile. There's so much texture in yeah. it. When he puts the shoes on, there's the sound of the right. shoes like sliding over the, the, the stockings. stockings. The pool scene later on, uh, it's Ben Affleck and Lil Rel Howery are like sitting in the pool. It starts raining and uh, Rel is like high. Uh-huh. So he's like, hey, Vic, man, is it raining? And he's like, uh, yeah, I think so. And he's like, oh, I must be really high because I can't tell. <laughs> and he like, you know, gets, but you can see the water like beating up on uh-huh. his shoulders. It's very like, t- you can feel all these things. There's a scene when they come home from that party. From the from pool the, the, party. Okay. Um, or no, no from no, no, the no. dinner party. The dinner beginning? party. Okay. And she's drunk. She goes into the kitchen to make coffee and she takes her top down, yes. the top of her dress. And he yells at her because the, the, he's baby paying the babysitter. Still there, yeah. And he's like, she's still here. You're naked. And he like goes to cover her up. Yes. And she says, she mutters something about like, oh, Americans, Americans are too, or whatever. And he goes, and he explains, he's like, my wife's from a different culture. Because right. Anna Damaris is, is uh, Italian. She's Cuban Spanish. In, in real life. In the movie, she speaks Italian when she's singing She does. Piano. She sings uh, Via Con Me yeah. by Paolo Conti. <laughs> they come home, and he follows her upstairs, and she's naked aside from stockings, I think, yes. and maybe underwear. She's laying facing him, topless, and he's between her legs, and he's taking her stockings off. Oh, that's right, yeah. And then he 
lotions her legs and she rolls over and he goes to like move up her body and then she tells him to leave. She goes like, Vic, close the door on your way out. Yeah. Which so, is our, as the audience, that's when we find out they are not sleeping together right. in the same bed. Yeah. And also that like if he was trying to move into like more sensual erotic uh she shot evening, him right down. she shoots him right down yeah they were talking about he wishes that her friends weren't so stupid yes and he's talking specifically about what's his name joel played by brendan miller it's a really good performance it is i don't know him from anything i don't think tony was in torchwood he was yeah, in masters uh, of sex tony he's is in... finn witchrock yeah he's in a with, lot of with, stuff with with truck yeah i think yeah. that's right Anyway, they're talking about Joel, and he yeah. very clearly does not like Joel, and he thinks he's not very smart, and he mentions that. He says, uh, yeah, something about him not being very smart, and she's like, oh, is that what you like in a woman, her uh, her intelligence? Yeah, and is that goes, what you like about me? Yeah, and he goes, that's one of the things. He goes, yeah. She goes, that's what you like about me? And she goes, he might be dumb, but he lets me be who I am, and that turns me on. Right. And uh, he says, you're very smart, Melinda, and she goes, not in a way you respect yeah, and then that's when she tells him to close the door when he leaves. Yeah. But that's a very sensual scene. It is, yeah. He's, like, rubbing lotion on her legs. She's mostly naked. Yeah. When he takes her stockings off and everything, it's very nurturing the way he is with her. Like, kind of knowing he's not getting anywhere. I think he knew she wasn't going to sleep with him. It's the sub thing of, like, I'm taking care of you. Right. You're in control, but, like, I'm taking care of you. Like, right. It's that, yeah. You get sort of confused about the dynamic. The whole like, first half of this movie, I really, you, I don't think you're supposed to have any idea of who's really in control. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting. It is. Well, because it allows you to explore power dynamics. Yeah, and to think about it. It right. makes you as the audience think about these power dynamics. And like how they may differ from what you anticipate. Because a lot of times they do. Yeah, right. Like, it forces you to question what you think you know about also, power dynamics in couples. And also that he, we find out pretty early on that he's like independently wealthy and retired. Right. So, I mean, in our very capitalist society, that is a sign of you're in control. You're, you know. Right. Typically you would think a man like that would be in control. Right. But she clearly, they're in some kind of power struggle at the least. Yeah. Yes. Uh, we mentioned there's Martin McRae, who's never in the film, but he's talked about. He is uh, Melinda's friend from before the events of the film. And we say friend loosely, because every time yes. she says somebody is her friend, she is fucking them. Right. Uh-huh. It's friends, but <laughs> but she's just fucking them all in the fountain so bad. She's oh, like... yeah. She is the fountain. <laughs> but no. Uh, so, yeah, then there's Joel. You mentioned Brendan Miller, mm-hmm. who is I guess, some kind of student, maybe. He gives off this sort of, like, childish, goofy, yeah. young guy young. vibe. Yeah. yeah. Charles Delisle, who's a piano player, as we mentioned, um, Jacob Elordi. And then uh, after he, we'll get to it, but after he disappears, which she doesn't really even raise a fucking red flag about, she just moves on to the next guy, mm-hmm. which is Tony Cameron, we mentioned, played by Finn Wittrock, um, who... She used to know, he's, she says he's the first American that she slept with, and he's like some sort of um, philanthropist now. Right. I was on my way out of the room, and I mentioned I wanted to lay out those three guys, and you said, so did she, which mm-hmm. is funny, but I realized, so did he. Yeah, hey, nice one. Right? So those are kind of her, fr- we'll call them friends, but let's talk real quickly about the rest of like their friends group. We mentioned Dash Myhawk as Jonas, uh, there's... Lil Rel Howery as Grant. And then we have Don, played by Tracy Letts and Kelly. We mentioned uh, Kristen Connolly and, and Mary uh, Divine A. Tyler. 
that's kind of the friends group. They see them around at parties and they hang out, you know, that kind of thing. I really like, as we kind of mentioned, Dash Myhawk and uh, Lil Rahawri, um, like they add a really good sort of like, it's the, the audience POV where they're, you know, like, you know, they sort of explain like, yeah, we think it's weird. Right. We're, we're like you all in the audience where we, we don't know what this is and we think it's odd too. What else? What else do we need to know about this film? A lot of parties. Something about the cocktail party, the opening cocktail party, mm-hmm. where she's flirting with Joel and Vic is like, he doesn't drink, so he's getting like Perrier <laughs> drinks all night from the uh-huh. bartender. Yeah. And the bartender's given lines and the actor's good. And I was like, oh, is this like watching it the first time? I was like, is this going to be like more of a thing or does he right. know him? Because he's like, how are you doing? And, and Vic's like, huh, what? He goes, oh, I'm just asking you how you're doing. He's like, I'm doing fine. And that's kind of it. The guy doesn't really ever appear again. I was wondering if he had picked up on the fact that his wife walked off with Joel. Sure, yeah. But he never really alludes to that after. The reason I mentioned this uh, this this bartender is because I was like, oh, let me look up this actor and see like if I know him from anything. I don't. But the bartender, credited as bartender, mm-hmm. is played by an actor named Sam Malone. Stop. Right? Norm! <laughs> yeah, which is fucking... This is Ted second... Danson's name yeah. on Cheers, where he played a bartender. This is weird. Cheers is good. Cheers is great. Cheers spun off uh, many, many good things. <laughs> Frasier? Frasier, for instance. Woody Harrelson's whole career. I've heard some of his movies are Cheers spinoffs. <laughs> yeah, White Men Can't Jump. <laughs> yeah, that's one of them. That's definitely one. <laughs> Venom 2, Let There Be Carnage. Oh, my God. <laughs> hey, Mr. Peterson, uh, just I'm infected by a symbiote and uh, I'm going to have to fight Spider-Man. So I'm going to be late uh, to my bar appointment. What do they call it? Bar appointment? Shift. <laughs> no, Norm had a bar appointment. Woody had a shift. <laughs> yeah, Cliff also had a bar appointment. Uh, hey there, Normie. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, Woody turned into a big symbiote, and he's, uh, I don't know, hunting down Spider-Man. <laughs> Not there eating people on the streets. <laughs> I saw that movie. I couldn't tell you what happened. And I have no idea. It ends in a church because if you know anything about Carnage at all, of course it does, but that's about all I remember. I saw it in the movie theater, and I fell asleep. Fair. I took a nice nap. I own it. I bought it for $5, and I still, I watched it once, and I was like, oh. You got got. Yeah, I was like, that's a coaster now. <laughs> Okay, we've, we've talked about our characters. Um, yeah, the structure is that there are these parties, and uh, I mean, the amount of time that the movie takes place over is a little unclear, but it's like several weeks. Yeah, it seems like it's all back to back, but you know that it's not. Yeah, more time is definitely passing. Yeah. And yeah, she just moves on from like person to person. And so Martin McRae is missing. We're at this like dinner party black tie thing. Mm-hmm. The whole movie, I got a lot of like school vibes. For some reason, like when the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, they're all like, they all work for higher education. They all work within a school or something. But watching it this time, I was like, no, that's... I don't know where you I got that I don't know from. why I got that. I don't know. The people in the bag heads feels like like they invited art school students to the party. Yeah, well, Joel thing. gives art school student vibes. Yeah, sure. I kind of thought it might be a swingers community initially, where <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, they all swap. Yeah. No, no that's no. not what's happening. So, yeah, there's this like black tie mixer thing, whatever. And um, at one point, Vic corners joel well joel joel kind of corners vic vic yeah. is, vic is very polite he's like ah oh, nice to meet you he's like ah oh, just wanted to say like thanks for being so cool with me you know like hanging out with your wife a lot of guys would you know a lot of husbands would be it's kinda... such a weird conversation it is because you're again not sure of what the power dynamic is right. is joel rubbing in his is he trying to be cute and being like i'm fucking your wife 
Right. Or is he being genuine and right. like Vic knows about him and is <sighs> fine with it? Right. Or does he think he's being clever, but Vic knows about it and doesn't care? Like, right. We don't. Yeah. We don't know if he thinks that Vic has no idea and he's just like, oh, we're just friends. Right. Like playing the game. And that happens for a while. Yeah. In this. Can we just branch off for a second? Sure. I mean, what the fuck is with the snails? Now? I kept trying to figure out thematically what the snails i don't know i've been thinking about it since i watched it i can't figure out where that comes into anything don't know he like breeds snails yeah vic raises snails that is his like thing thing when he first goes into this garage or wherever he keeps them everything lights up like the fucking bat cave yes it's like draped in plastic and like there's mist and there's lights That's and even there's more aquariums. Of that, that like sensuality. Like you can feel that room. It's that like clammy, humid that and clammy, yeah, damp. Yeah. And yeah, he's just got all these like aquariums and terrariums full of snails. He's hanging out with them, inspecting them, feeding them, taking care of them, whatever. They're his he's like, like bathing them. It's, it's so weird. And I just yeah, I kept waiting for the moment where I'm like, Oh, this all clicks. Somehow. I guess I don't know enough about snails. Well he he it's gives like, oh. he drops a weird fun fact and he says fun fact yes he does about snails to Tony yeah because Tony tries to eat his snails yeah I think it's a power play <laughs> on Tony's part yeah again Tony is the one who used to be friends with Melinda years ago they dated yeah they dated he broke up with her but now I can't remember why which means like your wife's hot why would I ever break up with that you know they're having dinner Melinda's preparing dinner he goes. You know, Vic, you know, it'd be great, a bunch of snails. And he's like, the snails aren't for eating. He's like, well, I mean, what are they, your pets? <laughs> yeah, and Melinda's like, oh, yeah, he, with butter and garlic or whatever. One of them says, like, yeah. butter and garlic. And he goes, you won't miss, like, 10 or 12 of them. And he goes, the snails aren't for eating. He, like, re- repeats yeah. it. And you can tell he's uncomfortable with this power play of, like, don't fuck with my, my pets. My like, snails. <laughs> don't fuck with my snails. You have to, he's, fun fact, you have to starve them, you know. He's like, what? And he's like, you have to starve them. You have to make sure there's nothing in their intestines. Otherwise, you poison yourself. Eating them will kill you. Eating them will kill you. And I don't even know if that's true. I didn't look it up. No idea. I trust it. I mean, sure. Why would he lie? I don't know. He knows a lot about snails, clearly. Yeah. Holding them and bathing them. And, like, he brings people in there to scare scare them. To intimidate them. Yeah. It's real strange. Brings Don in there to intimidate Don. But you know what? Good. Yeah. Don is great, but fuck Don. Right. (laughs) I love Don. Don, you're so close to being the hero of your story, and you fucked it up, my oh, man. Oh, and, like, boy, did he. Boy, did you fuck it up. So many ways in, like, just, like, two straight Listen, minutes. how he dies. It's so fucked up. I was like, holy shit, out loud, yelled at the TV. Tina, let me tell you, I was laughing my ass <laughs> off both times. <laughs> Both times. It's just absurd. Don is a and he's real. he's like trying to text and he's like, ah, oh, typos. He's such a shitster <laughs> and he fucking just like, he fucks himself over so badly. He's definitely the nosy old lady neighbor. Yeah, it's great. And I thought Melinda was going to try and fuck him at some point. She doesn't, I don't think. No. But she gets him on her side. No, yeah, she likes, she likes hot dudes. Like. Yeah, but she knew he was like writing a screenplay and that he yeah. might have money and We're whatever. introduced to Don at this like garden party and... And he says he's a screenwriter and it's like a really, it's really funny screenwriter dialogue where they're like, oh, you know, oh, you make movies. He's like, well, I mean, I had a couple things optioned, but you know how Hollywood is. Like, what was your story about? He's like, oh, it's about me. It's loosely based on me. It's a young man, which is already like 
funny because like mm-hmm. he's you know he's like in his 40s like he's like yeah it's a young man who uh is a screenwriter and he's writing a noir film and he uncovers a crime in his town yeah and it's just like that sounds like the least interesting thing kind of right ever. and then then it kind of comes to fruition yes. for him it's very and that's why you're like oh god stop it Don. right and so, you know, he's like, well, what do you do, Vic? Melinda is always, like, trying to embarrass. I, she, again, thinking back and after two watches of this, she's just always trying to get an emotional reaction. She's trying to get any kind of rise out of him she can, whether it be sexual or not. Right. She's trying to get any emotions. So, yeah. it, you know, she tries to embarrass him. So she's like, Vic makes chips for drone warfare or whatever. Right. And technically, that's what... That is one of the uses for them, but right. that you can tell he, that's not what he made them for. No, if, and and if you, as a husband and wife, were on the same team, that's not how you would put it. Right. You'd be like, oh, Vic developed yada yada such and such a microchip. The well, end. And you can tell that he is self-conscious about it. Yes. Like, he doesn't, he's not comfortable with how they're being used, and he tries to explain it away. Like, well, that's not what I made it for. Yeah, uh, and, uh, Don says, like, what, well, drones, that's kind of a morally gray area, isn't yeah. it? And he goes, yeah, it has nothing to do with the chips. He's right. like, how he's they like, use it has no, you know, nothing to do He's like, but you that. made them. And it's like, well, yeah, but I, you get the impression that he didn't know how they were going to be used. Right. But knowing what we know about Vic from the end of the film, like, I, he probably didn't care. No. He's probably like, it's up to you how you use it. I made it. You bought it. The end. Don, I, I mentioned this at the beginning doing a bit, but Don's like, oh, so, you know, don't they use those to blow up children? And he goes, yeah, but they could just as easily use them to find starving children and deliver food to them. And Don goes, yeah, but they don't. And, and Vic goes... No, they don't. Right. <laughs> so fucking funny. Ben Affleck's delivery in this, in a lot of this movie, is very fun. I don't know very much about Ben Affleck's acting ability. I can't really recall seeing him in anything in any major way. I honestly, I think like Ben Affleck is getting better as an actor as time goes on. I, I have to agree with you because I actually really liked him in this. And most of the time he just kind of falls into the background for me. He doesn't really stand out. So I kind of liked being able to watch him front and center. I feel like he put on a really good performance. In he's this good in this. Yeah. Because he's hard to read and that's intentional. I can't figure out which way he's leaning. And it's not just like a blankness. It's no. not, it's not not reacting. It's reacting in a way that you're not sure what the reaction means. Right. Which is really interesting. Yeah. And like at the end of the film, like when Don shows up and he's clearly caught off guard, Ben Affleck's doing great acting in that. Oh, he struggles. His voice goes like two pitches too high. Yeah. And like it cracks and Uh you can see him grasping. Right. Whereas the rest of the movie, it feels like he's fully in control. But yeah, when Don shows up at the reservoir or whatever the fuck, the river. Yeah, the gorge. The gorge. Yeah. He's like, oh, hey, oh, that. That, yeah, that's great. Like, he's clearly, yeah, he, like, struggling. He is really caught off guard. It's really good. Yeah, it is. Also a little funny, but... Yeah, oh yeah, it's very funny. Because he, like, when he pitches his voice up... Yes. It's really funny. I mean, imagine, you know, Hannibal Lecter caught off guard. And like, oh, yeah, uh, uh, Clarice, Clarice, hello! Uh, <laughs> you know. So, okay, yeah, there's this first party, and we have Joel, and Joel kind of corners uh, Vic. And this is when Vic does the initial lie. Right. Joel's saying, like, oh, I'm seeing your your wife. We're friends. And he goes, you're a Martin McRae. Joel's like, no. He was seeing a lot of my wife. And he's like, oh, oh, is that the guy that disappeared? He's missing? And he's like, yeah, I killed him. Right. Well, And he the way he says it, I kind of thought he was fucking with him. Yeah, it's hard to tell. Because he says it so, like, matter-of-factly. Yes. And- he says, have you heard the name Martin McRae? Joel says, uh, you want me to think you did something to him? Vic says, I killed him. 
Joel says, are you threatening me? You know, like Cornholio. Uh-huh. And Vic says, do you feel threatened? <laughs> yeah. It's really good. Well, you can tell that he is now reclaiming the power dynamic. Yes. Um, He's establishing, you know, the alpha position in this right. weird triangle. I think he actually kind of takes a liking to Joel and doesn't admit it because he lets Joel get away. He doesn't kill Joel because no. Joel sees himself out. For part of the first watch of this, I, I was like, oh, maybe he did kill Martin McRae and saying that he killed him with a hammer is like plausible deniability. Right. Because we later find out he was shot. Martin McRae was shot. And then there's a info dump like in the background on a news broadcast that the person responsible was captured. Right. So we find out, okay, it's not quote unquote, not Vic, but I, I was the first time waiting for the reveal that Vic like engineered all of it. Right. He framed somebody. He yeah. made somebody like take the fall or whatever. Cause I, again, I was kind of expecting the dynamic was she flirts with guys. She gets to fuck them for a while until Vic kills them. Yeah. She plays with them. Right. And then he kills them. Yeah, It's two cat, one mouse. Right. I saw that video on the internet. Yeah, I did too. <laughs> Joel gets away. By getting scared off. I actually wonder if when he said he killed Martin McRae, he kind of got off on that. Like the thrill of it and the fact that so many people started believing that he might have. He doesn't seem bothered by the no. fact that there's these rumors that like, because if Joel starts telling people like, he said he killed that guy. Yeah, it gets around really quickly. He doesn't protest too much here. He's no. just, I didn't, it was a joke. I didn't do it. And yeah. then that's it. He keeps repeating it's a joke. Dash my hawk, you know, those guys, his friends, all, all are like, it's a joke. Come right. on. And people are like, why would you joke about that? And he goes, it was a poor choice in the moment. I was yeah. just having some fun. He explains it away. But I almost feel like maybe he starts getting off on the idea that he could kill someone. And then he kills Charlie. So in between that, they invite Joel over for dinner. Yeah, he a, he tries to scare him again. He do, well, I think he's like, well, we'll invite him over and I'll make amends. Mm -hmm. But then he's he he's like, maybe he's trying to work up to like, oh, maybe I can not mind if my wife bones these guys. Well, I thought he was because he made a clam chowder or something. And uh, Joel lobster was, bisque. Oh yeah, and Joel was like, I'm allergic to shellfish. I can't eat it. Yeah, and I thought he was gonna try and kill, kill him with him, the shellfish. Yeah. That doesn't happen. They give him something else to eat. Grilled cheese. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's like, oh, it's really good. You want a bite? And, you know, Melinda's like, mm, uh. and they have this really passive aggressive, like, yeah. husband and wife fight where he's like, Melinda has the palate of a child. I took her to the nicest restaurant in town and she got Macaroni mac and cheese. cheese. And she's like, well, it was what I wanted. He goes, yeah, I realized you were ordering off the children's menu. And she says, it was almost like you were embarrassed of me. And he says, oh, no, then I just realized that you were saving room for alcohol. Uh -huh. It's very passive aggressive. Very. And uh, Joel goes, uh, if you guys don't mind, I'm going to go use the restroom. And, and Vic goes, good call. She sends Trixie to bed. And then she says, your dad is going to read you bedtime stories. Uh-huh. Don't let him skip any pages. He's tricky like that or whatever. Yeah, it's... He's clever like that. So you're like... Gross. Again, this is cuckolding. Like, uh -huh. yeah, you go, put our daughter to bed, and I'm going to go down here fucking this hot guy. Right. Ben Affleck is just like unbothered sort of he's just like in bed reading this bedtime story and he's like yeah but he's, he's always fine with her with trixie but when he leaves her you can tell that like there is something brewing yeah oh yeah but he's unhurried he's just like that's true. he's like yeah. you want to fuck this guy like that he's like that's fine you want to play these games that's fine and that's why the whole time i'm like so he's a killer right like that's but he comes downstairs and th they're listening to Citizen Cope, which I was like, oh, I see what you're doing here. He's like young art school kid. Yeah. She's in the room 
drunk with him, like, kind of just flirtatiously all over him. Yeah. Vic goes into the kitchen and picks up a plate and breaks it into the the sink. sink. And then she comes in and she's like, I'll do the dishes in the morning. You can go to bed. He's like, I'm wide awake. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) She makes um, Joel a drink. She goes upstairs. Yeah, she goes... Give this to Joel. I'll be back. I'm going to leave you to some some quality time, right, some alone right, time right. or whatever. And he goes in and gives it to him and does like a whole spiel. And then he says, oh, your Uber's here. He's like, I didn't call one. He's like, I, I called, called one, one for, for you. you. Yeah. And really scares the shit out of him. Mm-hmm. Joel says something like, "Is don't you want to apologize for saying you killed Martin McRae? And Vic, Vic says, why would I do that? I did kill Martin McRae. I hit him with a hammer. That's when he says I hit him with a hammer. Right. Oh, your Uber's outside. He goes, I didn't call an Uber. He's like, I called one for you. Yeah. And that's kind of the last we see of Joel, right? That's, that's he, it. he disappears. Yeah. And then I think then's the garden party. We meet Tracy Letts uh, as Don. Mm-hmm. And we meet uh, his wife as Kelly. That's right. uh, Connolly. That's when he decides he's going to dance with Kelly. Yeah. They're, at the first party, there's a whole like Vic says he doesn't dance. And, you know, right. they're like, oh, sure, whatever. So make Melinda jealous. He's like, you know, he asks Kelly, like, do you dance? And she goes, I love to dance. He goes, let's dance. And to the point where everybody is like, is that Vic dancing? Oh, my God. The dialogue that goes on between the friends here. Yes. Jonas and... Uh, uh, Jonas and Grant. Yeah. yeah. It is so funny. It's great. They're like, I hope his knee doesn't give out. Yeah. They're, <laughs> they're like, going to get dizzy. <laughs> they're doing like little spins, like dancing. And he's like, oh, he's going to get dizzy. He's like, oh, he did a dip and everything. Uh-huh. He's like, I hope his knee doesn't give out. You know he's got a bad knee. It's so <laughs> fucking funny. Holy hell. I was I was howling at that. Yeah, it's so funny. And it it's such a needed like break in the tension of everything. Yes. These guys yeah. are openly flirting with this whole town. <laughs> right. And when he dips her, he puts his hand in her hair. Yeah, very. Which is very intimate. Ten- tender and intimate. Yeah. yeah. They leave that party. This gets weird. Okay. They leave that party. They're in the car and she's like, I saw you dancing with Kelly. Oh, God. Yeah. She's attractive, don't you think? And he's like, yeah, I guess she's attractive. And she's like, do you want to fuck her? And, she, and, and he, he says, was like, like, it's not my he's first like, that, thought. He's like, that wasn't my first thought. She's like, but it was a thought. And he said, well, of course it's a thought. It's always a thought. Yeah, I could fuck this person. And then she leans in to give him roadhead. Yep. And he's kind of enjoying it. And then I don't know if she bites him or, or what? pinches him but or yeah. what. He goes, she, like, he goes like, ah. And she's like, you think she's a better fuck than me? And he goes, I didn't say any of that and whatever. And then he, she does it, whatever it was, harder. And he's like, ah, and he's like, what? He's, knock it off. You're going to make us crash. Yeah, He's like, you're going to kill us. And she was like, that would be fine if, if you, you think, think she's, she's a better, a better fuck. fuck than me. I'd rather die or yeah. whatever, which is insane. Oh yeah. It's fucking wild. Yeah. Like that is crazy. Are you biting him? Like while right. he is driving a car? Like what? There's nothing you can do to the penis in a roadhead situation <laughs> to make somebody go, ah. That I'm not like, ooh, no, don't right. do that. There's only so much area to work with. Yeah. Right, yeah. Is it a bite? Is it a pinch? Is it some sort of other uh, nasty? Is it like an Indian burn? Like, like what? what did you do? <laughs> is that? Do we? Are we allowed to say Indian burn? Anymore? Oh, I, I don't know. know. Probably not. Huh? Yeah, it's probably not. All right. What's the thing? Because like I know now you say uh, uh, crisscross applesauce. applesauce yeah. yeah. But yeah, what is that? What is this thing called? It's but bad. no no offense meant here. We don't, oh, no, no, we no, no. Yeah, no. Didn't it. think about it. So yeah, if it, you know what else to call it, you could uh, write in. Yeah, since I've grown out of the era of, like, I don't know, Hertz Donuts, <laughs> I haven't thought about this at all in, like, 30 yeah, years. Right. So no, me either. <laughs> I, that, that term hasn't come up in my life no. since I was a child, so I don't know. Yeah, no. So if anybody knows, please let us know. We endeavor to be better here on the show. Oh, yeah. Then, then it cuts to them having sex back at the house. 
Yeah, and it is real passionate. Also, she's a talker. Yeah, and there's a little bit of ass eating that happens. Yeah. She's like, Do you want to kiss my ass? He's like, Yes. Like, and he's very monotone. Yeah, and he's very, like, obedient. Oh, yeah. Do you want to do this? Yes. Do you want to do this? Yes. Yeah. But, like, his whole face is in her asshole. Yeah. And if they're dating, I guess that checks out. But I was like, you guys got close. And I mean, she's got underwear on, but it doesn't matter. Your face is in it. I'm sure everybody had a good time. Oh, yeah. It's actually, I think, the most sexual scene in the movie. It's the most blatantly sexual. Right. Where you can see what they are doing. You see an actual act. There's a lot of like... What's happening outside the bounds of the camera in this film? Right. Like, mm-hmm. the roadhead is, like, that's out of frame. And yeah. Later on, I uh, she, like, makes him finger her. Yeah, she does it a couple times. The one time he really leans into it is when they're at the gorge. Yes. Because he thinks everything is done now. Like, yeah, all yeah, these yeah. guys are gone, and she might be paying attention to him for him. Right, and he does a, he gives her the photo book. That's dedicated to her. To her, and refers to but, her as the love of his life, and she's, she's very, like, this is actually, like, romantic. This shows his emotional side. But like, she's actively manipulating him in that scene. Sure. Because she sent Trixie off to go look for... I think it was the dog. You might be right. Yeah, I think she's in the moment and being like, oh, we can have sex in this field real quick while our daughter goes and plays, you know, down, right. down around the gorge. And, and he's he like, knows Ooh. the body is there. Yeah, he's like, mm, yeah. maybe that's not a great idea. Yeah. But he also just seems concerned that his daughter is too near the river. Yeah, both are equally concerning. Yeah, in a way that she's not. Yeah. Melinda's very like, yeah, whatever, she'll be fine. Well, she says in this movie that she didn't want children. Yeah. Because he says, you know, like, we have a family. We have children. Like, we have a child. We are a family. And she was like, that was your choice, not mine. And you get now why there's so much resentment towards Trixie. Yes. That kid, man, she's the most interesting part of this movie. Oh, she's a little diabolical, that one. Yeah, because she's like a sociopath, like Uh her father. Yeah. But you're like, oh, is she going to be like her mother? Right. And be like a fucking honey trap. Like, Well, she's in the bathtub talking about how Vic drowned Charlie. So we didn't get to that yet. This no. is the pool party. They they have this pool party. Honestly, great fucking party. Yeah, it looks like a good time. Because, like, they're drinking during the day. Then they're out in the pool at night. Then it starts to rain. And when it gets rained out, they go inside and bake cookies. Yeah, they're making pot cookies. Yeah, and I was like, this is great. What yeah. a great fucking... You know. That sounds like a great day. What a great party. And everybody's in the pool for a while. And like, yes, Melinda. And this is Charlie Delisle, the piano player. Nate Euphoria. Nate Euphoria. (laughs) (laughs) Who Vic becomes aware of because he gets a phone call at like a soccer game from his bank that says like, Melinda's account is overdrawn. She wrote a $3,000 check to a Charles Delisle. Any, any idea what it's for? And he says, it's for piano lessons. So Vic then calls all the like bars in town. He's like, do you have live music? No. Okay. Do you, how about you? No. Okay. How about you? Oh yeah. Piano player. What's his name? Mm-hmm. Charles Delisle. And he goes and has a cocktail, watches him perform. And he kind of gets like a bead on him. Right. And I guess he doesn't realize she's there, but she's there. And then Vic leaves. Once he can see them sort of like talking and flirting and whatever. Canoodling. Canoodling, yes. As as TMZ would have put it. Uh-huh. She invites Charlie to this to this uh, pool party and makes him play on the piano. And he plays, I forget what. Something I don't know. Too fast, though. It's, yeah, it's something like ragtimey. Yes. It's not what you would think he's going to play. No, because he's playing like jazzy standards. Yeah, kinda, he plays like, like a ragtime song and it's stepped up real. Yeah, it's too fast. I didn't pick this up first watch but sec- you know the other day second watch is this supposed to mean or to signify he's not really that great a piano player that he's like 
fine, but doesn't have it. Like, he's not a star. He's just, like, a guy that plays piano pretty well. Yeah, I don't know. I couldn't tell if it was that or if he was just trying to put a little stank on it to show yeah. off. I don't know. But I was just like, you're playing this too fast. It doesn't land. It becomes, like, Ingve Malmsteen fucking guitar solo. <laughs> You're it, just like, ah, it all, it's all well, And they're trying to dance to it, but nobody's keeping rhythm because it's weird. Yeah. And then she walks up to Vic and, like, turns her back to him. Yeah, she grinds her ass into him and then starts, like, jerking him off. Right, and he's like, huh, stop. Huh, no, not and he's here. like, really? Come on. She says something like, what? Charlie's playing piano. And I'm like, is that what's doing it for you here? Right. This is very strange. It is. And she doesn't, like... It, there's no climax. Like, no. she just walks away from him. She just, like, is viciously sexually teasing her husband. Right, and then walks off with Charlie. Right. So, yeah, they all end up in the pool. It starts to rain. Charlie stays in the pool, as does Vic and Grant. And, uh, you know, Grant had been smoking some weed earlier, so he's... That's when he... Uh, I yeah, mentioned earlier, rain. he's like, is it raining? And he's like, yeah. He's like, I must be high. I can't tell. You know, I'm getting out of the pool. And then we see Vic looking at charlie and then it cuts to inside and they're making cookies and whatever and some time passes they're all it's like it's like the big chill they're all having that's a good... exactly what it's like right yeah. <laughs> and then vic's just in there and he's like oh yeah and he tries to grab a cookie off the fresh out of the thing the, yeah. dash over there goes or whatever like, yeah, he's he like burns he's careful they're hot and he's like oh yeah i'm fine and he goes, oh i burned my fingers I told you yeah and he's yeah. like i told you it was hot dummy yeah and uh <laughs> At some point, Melinda looks outside and sees Charlie floating face down in the pool. And screams. And everybody runs out. Yeah. And they're all trying to hoist him out of the pool. And Don, Tracy Letts, the screenwriter, is like trying to lift him and drops him. And he fucking, you know, Charlie fucking face plants he on the edge of the... head hard. So then they finally get him out of the pool. They're trying to give him CPR. Vic is trying to give him CPR. Melinda's telling Vic he's intentionally doing it wrong. Yeah, she's like, you're not even trying. You don't care. You want him to do like that kind of thing. Yeah. And, it's tense, man. It's, it's a wild. A it's a and wild scene. At some point, they tell her to like calm down, and somebody accidentally hits her in the face. Yeah, it's like turning, and yeah. Yeah, they're trying to get her out of the way so that they can help him because she's like hovering where they need to get to. Right, and Vic is the one attempting to give CPR, and she's like pushing him. She's in the way to be so like, you "You're not doing it right." You like, can't tell if he actually is trying to save him or not. Right. They realize that he has no pulse. He's not breathing. Nothing's happening. And so they call the police. Yeah. Two police detectives show up and they're interviewing everybody. And uh, my favorite thing is because it's like everybody in a room together. And the yeah. detective is like, so what happened? And who was the last one that saw him? And, you know, Grant is like, oh, me and Vic were in the pool. And he never says, like, I left before Vic. No, he says we got out of the pool to yeah. get cookies. He's like, we got out of the pool, cool, came in, we had cookies. And Melinda <laughs> starts loudly being like, uh, you know, Vic killed him, he, you know. And the detective's like, well, I want to talk to you separately, takes her out of the room. But uh, somebody's like, what happened? Did he did he drown or whatever? And uh, they're like, yeah, we think he drowned. We found him in the pool. And then when we were hoisting him out, Don dropped him and he hit his head. And Don goes, that had nothing to do with the death. Right. <laughs> <laughs> It's like I am not I'm not culpable in this. And that yeah. made me laugh so hard. This like wannabe crime sleuth. What also made me laugh in that scene, two things. One, they mention the cookies. Yeah. Jonas goes, I, I have I have a card. And they're like, that's not what we're doing. Yeah, here he goes, for. was marijuana involved? He goes, Yeah, yeah. They're all like, uh I mean yeah. And he goes, Yeah, but I have a card. He goes, That doesn't matter. I'm just right. trying to figure out what happened. And then uh when they're interrogating Vic, they're like, you know, So what happened? What happened? And he was like, I was getting I don't know, I was getting a cookie. 
And he pulls up his hand and goes, see, I was stealing a cookie. And yeah. his hands are burned. Burned. His fingers are burned. Yeah. He's, he's like, I got out of the pool and I came in and I tried to get a cookie and I burned my fingers. And the next thing I know, he's dead. Like, right. He's like, I saw him at the far end of the pool and the, maybe in the, in the deep, deep water. water the deep or, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's like, I got the impression he wasn't a strong swimmer. And he mentions that he noticed that when he left the pool. Yeah. Which is a little bit of culpability there. If you see somebody struggling a little bit in a pool and you leave them, if you leave someone to drown, is that not killing them? Right. If you see somebody drowning and you don't help, how responsible are you? Yeah, and they've already, the cops already been like, well, you know. He asks if Charlie was sleeping with his wife. He goes, and he's, yeah, I don't know everything that she does. Yeah. If it doesn't bother you, he goes, I don't feel the need to, you know. Control how, Control her, her choices yeah. or something, however he phrases it. And he's like, well, you know, she says uh, you killed Charlie. And Vic says, well, I didn't say she was always rational. Yeah. It's very good. Dude. He's very collected. And very unemotional. Very, right. like, very even. Which makes him believable. Yeah. By contrast, anyone would seem hysterical, but especially her, because she's, like, dialed way the fuck up. Yeah. She's... And, like, yes, and she is drunk, and he did kill that guy. <laughs> like, right. But we don't know that at no, that point. No, at this time, we're really not sure if that's what the movie is. Did he do it or did he not? Yeah, we have no idea. We didn't see him do it. We so, finally see a murder. It's so fucking fun and satisfying. It's intense. <laughs> they hover on his head, oh, bleeding man. out for so long. Let's talk about it. All right. All right. So this is Tony. It's an unclear amount of time later. In the interim, Don and Melinda have decided that they're going to crack this case. So, yeah, so they're having uh, Vic tailed. They hire David, whatever, who is, he says, he he's says a he's a psychologist or something. Yeah. So early in the film, the opening shot of the film is Vic riding his bike and he comes home and he like pulls up on the porch and <laughs> he, he takes off his sneakers. He, takes he off has his, no socks on. Yes. He takes off his sneakers, takes off his sweatpants and he's about to take off his shirt when he sees Melinda sitting on like the staircase on the side. Yeah. And she's looking at him and he goes, what? And she says like nothing. He gives us odd sphinx like yeah. unreadable look where you're not sure what they're there's is. a little mona lisa smile happening here but yes. you can't read it and then she goes up the steps in a very seductive way and he i thought he was gonna follow, follow her, her right he doesn't yeah though. i thought this movie was gonna start with straight up fucking me too because it's a very bemused like you know come on up and see me sometime well kinda. especially because he's stripping down he just got off his bike he's sweaty yeah he's stripping down on the porch she's watching him yeah it seems like She's into it. Right. But you can't read her face. No. And then, like, it just, like, I think that's when it smash cuts to the title screen. Yeah. And you're like, all right. So, yeah, he's a he's a cyclist. So he, you know, goes out for rides, whatever. And he notices a car that may or may not be following him. And he, like, clocks it. And then he, like, keeps going, whatever. And this happens a few times. Yeah. So then he's riding around and he sees the car. And then he sees his wife talking to a guy sitting in, like, a cafe so he goes in and pretends that he's there to pick up food for, like, the guys. Yeah. Like, he's he, the boys. The boys in the locker room. He clocks his car, but he looks in the car and he sees a Nikon with a telephoto lens. Yes, big old, And I yeah. was like, this must be an awfully nice neighborhood to right. leave that camera in the back seat of a car. Yeah. As somebody who has a Nikon with a telephoto lens, don't smash my windows, I don't keep it in my car. That's a very expensive camera. Yeah, yeah. so he sees, uh, you know, Melinda and this guy David in, like, a, a diner, restaurant, or whatever, and he goes in and he goes, oh, 
Melinda. She goes, oh, and he like nudges her all the way to the other end of the booth. Hip checks her over so he can sit down. He's like, who's your friend? And she's like, this is, you know, David, whatever. He's a psychotherapist. He's a psychotherapist. He's like, that's interesting. He's like, uh. You think my wife here shows schizophrenic tendencies or something? And (laughs) And she says, do you think my husband is an asshole for asking you that? Yeah, sociopath and an asshole, I think is what she says. Yeah, that's right. Or a psychopath and an asshole. And this guy goes, how about couples therapy? Yeah. And he's like, mm, okay. Well, you know what? I was coming in here to get food for the boys or whatever. And he's like, I don't want to interrupt your lunch. Uh, David, do you have a card I could have? Because I might be in the need of a psychotherapist. I don't seem to have one on me. He's like, oh, that's okay. I know where to find you. Yeah. It's, it's real menacing. Real, real menacing. Because he knows he's not a psychotherapist. Yeah. And so then uh, the next scene is he just opens the like yard door of Don and um, Kelly and their daughter Goldie, they're all having like lunch or he, he says dinner. There's a lot of like go to bed or it's dinner time and it's like bright sunshine out. Yeah. It's, it's funny because like, I, you know, I always watch movies and, and pay attention to small roles, little bit parts, if mm-hmm. they give them dialogue or not. Because I know that's one of the things for how you get like Screen Actors Guild uh, accreditation. So I like that, you know, they're like, yeah, Goldie, whatever. And they keep talking to her and they're like, once this conversation picks up steam, they're like, Goldie, go inside. And she just sits there looking around like, uh. <laughs> she's like um uh but she doesn't have actual dialogue no she so, just keeps looking around confused yeah and it's really funny but he comes in he's like hey uh hey don <laughs> who uh what does he say like who's david Do you know the name yeah. david whatever and he's like uh no no i don't he's like really that's interesting because uh he's a, a private investigator that you hired with my wife have you what, what what do you mean he's like well i found a transfer for this weird like three hundred and forty seven dollars yeah, like and so, fifty seven, cents seven hundred something yeah but it's a weird number he's like so i assume that you two went, went half these on or the whatever. retainer yeah <laughs> and kelly he'd already mentioned to Ke- like kelly came up and apologized to vic at like a school thing being like hey i'm sorry about don he's like what about don she says uh you know he he really he won't let go of this like belief that you had something to do with charlie delisle and she says you know i, I keep telling him it's a bad idea to, to have melinda over right but oh, melinda keeps right. coming over and like they are just feeding off of each other these theories yeah and, and Vic says you know something not he's like don't worry about it that's you know we'll have you and don over we'll for have dinner. you and don over for dinner and then he has them over and he invites don into the snail shack and <laughs> <laughs> Snail Shack Baby. (laughs) You think I killed that piano player? (laughs) Snail Shack, yeah. Oh my god, that's so funny. (laughs) I hit Martin McRae with a hammer. Oh, shit. Got me a car. It's as big as a snail. It's about to set sail. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. That's funny. Oh, man. I'm crying. That none of y'all thought I had a Fred Schneider impression. Oh, I know. Tina knows. I have a dynamite Fred it's Schneider. phenomenal. <laughs> so. He brings them into the snail shack. He brings Don the snail shack. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. He just he just asked Don, like, you got to let this. He tells him, like, you got to let this go. And it's very, right. like, 
kind of openly threatening and antagonizing Don, but yeah. but Don also sort of has like some power. And I mean, like that's a very there's no clear I have the power you don't in any real relationship in this film. No, it's people exerting power in the moment that they might have it, and then other people either responding or not. Right, because then they have you know. It's it's it, the, all the power dynamics in this are interesting, and that's what I mean. Like when I talked earlier about the game playing, like it's playing games with the audience in the first half, and then it's this is like Vic playing games with Don, and and Don and Melinda playing games with Vic. Like it's all these power power games, and it skews your idea of what what you think is happening. Yeah, and what anybody's up to, and and, yeah. and what your ideas of power are. I mean, I mentioned that before, but it's really interesting the dynamics that all these characters have within the story and with each other he confronts like i said he confronts don at this uh like supper with his family in the backyard and when he's like you went split season with my wife on the retainer kelly's like don like she's outraged yeah she is livid and they keep saying goldie go inside yeah and goldie never goes inside no she just sits there like i'm not fucking leaving like, like are you this kidding is, yeah, this, this is great this is the greatest thing that's ever happened <laughs> he had uh, a uh, vic Kind of just gets up and, uh, I'm sorry I interrupted your supper, and he leaves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, he like, he threw that grenade in there. Yeah, well, because Kelly is like, you don't have to be sorry for anything. And then she lays into Don. Yeah, she's like, why are you apologizing? I also like the closing line of that scene where Don yells, who left this gate open? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff <laughs> like that where it's like, that's funny. Yeah. Like, I talked, I don't remember what episode it was, it was fairly recently, about a movie has to direct you as to it has to tell you what kind of movie it is right like this is a movie that has a ton of humor it's not no one would ever think this is a comedy it knows what it is and it shows you it's not a comedy which allows it to then be funny it just has moments of comedic relief right comic relief and and irony dramatic irony like all these things Mm -hmm. that that relieve tension and are just inherently funny like that that's the ending like punchline on a scene from like Step Brothers. right you know could easily work there yeah but here it works just as well it's just a totally different movie right oh i know what it is it's not something on the podcast it was something i wrote a review of but especially with unsure or first time or young directors when they don't have their voice and they don't have the control over the work that they might want Mm -hmm. the film but you know the the thing becomes muddied but this is yeah adrian line this is a established director decades of experience and this movie knows exactly what it is which is why it could be like really fucking funny yeah at times like and it's mostly dialogue it's not like there's a fucking prat fall the last death is pretty funny dude that that final sequence is hilarious yeah it's a calamity of events yeah we're, we're getting there we're almost there <clears throat> because this is when uh vic meets tony cameron uh yeah melinda i guess had him over for dinner didn't tell vic I kind of get that impression. Like he yeah, didn't... I don't think he knew he was coming. She spots her out with him a couple times while he's, like, tailing her. Yes. So he, they, he sees them together. He knows this dude, doesn't know who it is. Right. He also listens in on their calls, like... He's she's, hovering upstairs. Yeah, she's downstairs in another room, and yeah. he's in the like top of the stairs listening. And that's when she's like, what? Brazil? I've never been. No, Trixie would love it. Well, I have to go. I can't talk. I love you, too. Yeah. You're watching this and like, kind of want Vic to kill this dude. Like, yeah, well, because at that point, now it's involving his kid. Right. And you know that that's going to be like a, a switch flip for That's him. a definite, yeah. yeah. I feel like Vic, if he didn't have anything to do with uh, Martin McRae's death and he didn't do anything to Joel, I don't think he would have done anything to Charlie Delisle except that it was the 
perfect opportunity, right? Like, Yeah, I think also he kind of thought he might be able to get away with it. Right. I also think that, you know, he's got a lot of emotions that have been bubbling to the surface. Yeah. And the passion that she's looking for came out in a way that maybe was unexpected. Right. Or it's maybe a be he's, careful what you wish for, sort yeah, of. Or maybe he's acting on a fantasy he's always had. Maybe yeah. I sort of got the impression that he enjoyed the thought of maybe being the one that killed yeah. Martin McRae, and yeah. and that he liked that people thought he did it, and he liked using it as an intimidation, you know, tactic. So there's a lot of possibilities there. What's interesting is there is this sort of dichotomy within him where he is very much like. We know he kills at least two people. Right. Intentionally. But also, you get this these peaks into his relationship with Trixie, where he's like such a good and doting father. Yeah. And he talks so fondly of her, and he like is so cute when he drops her off to school and tucks yeah, her in he, at night. He and... walks her into the school, and he's like, all right, I love you. And she's like, I love you too. And the whole like assembled bunch of kids are like, I love you. Like, yeah. They're making fun of him, and he's like... <laughs> She doesn't care, and no. he doesn't care, and it's cute. Yeah, uh, we mentioned kind of in passing, there. Uh, he's giving her a bath, and she's like, yeah. you killed Charlie, right? Well, first she says, when Charlie drowned, could his feet touch the bottom? Yeah, it, it sounds like a kid thing. Yeah, and like she's, a, like she's maybe afraid of drowning, and she's in the tub in water. Yeah. But she's sitting on the at the bottom of the yeah, tub. Yeah. But she's got a, a, diver toy. a diver toy that has its feet on the bottom yeah. of the tub, and they keep cutting to it. And he's like, I don't know, maybe. And then she's like, I think that you drowned or you killed him or something. However she phrases it, And she it, says, yeah. and you're not telling me, and I don't know why. Right. And he goes, well, and he doesn't say he did or didn't. He just sort of dances around him. Well, he kind of asks her why she thinks that. Right. And she's like, everybody keeps asking me how you did it. Right. So, and, she, and, and she says, and I just want to know. Right. She's not bothered by this thought that he might have done this. Right, might have drowned a guy. She just wants to know how he did it and why he's not telling her. Yeah, and they've had conversations throughout the film of like, oh, is mommy okay? And he's like, well, she's a little sad uh, because of her friend. The way that conversation was going, I thought she was going to say, I saw you. Right, or something. Like, I saw you through the window, or whatever. I thought she was going to say she saw it happen. No, and he does do the, well, you know what would happen if they found out that yeah, I, I would go to prison forever. I would go to prison for a long time or forever, whatever. Yeah. And, and she goes, yeah, I know. Like, he says early in the film that she's a genius. She's, They're like, yeah. oh, what colleges are you thinking about for her? Like, better get ready. I like and, this. Yeah, and he says, she's a genius. The worst thing I could do is send her to college. Yeah. Um, which is great. And Well, and every time they cut to her, she's doing some kind of science project. Yeah, she like, makes she's a potato oper- clock. Yeah, she, well, and then the other time she is operating a robot with a potato battery yeah she's like you knew i had them on wrong didn't you and he was like i didn't have to tell you he's non-committal or whatever yeah, she's like, like, why didn't you tell me he goes i didn't have to tell you right you figured it out we'll figure it out yeah well and she defends him too melinda says something in passing between the three of them about him making bombs she's like oh you're gonna make bombs like your dad or something like yes. that and she's like he doesn't make bombs yeah he makes chips that can be used in drones and whatever yeah yeah, yeah. but she's like very like matter of fact he doesn't make bombs but like as an actress uh i said it earlier uh grace jenkins she's really good yeah she's good she's very natural and she it's a well-written character because she doesn't have to deliver a bunch of like smarty pants like dialogue like adults would say no. 
which is how you see like genius kids written a lot is they use a lot of precocious words and yeah. shit. She's not that. No, it's it's that you get that she understands things. Mm-hmm. And that's way better and more chilling and more interesting than a kid that's like, oh, indubitably, my good man. Or yeah, whatever. she says very little, but what yeah. she does say holds a lot of weight. Yeah, it's really good. And she's adorable when they're she... singing in the car, which is the fucking like the, the Leo Sayer thing. song. Yeah, it's adorable. It's very cute. Yeah, I, uh, I liked her in the first viewing of this. In the second viewing, I, I enjoyed her performance even more. Yeah, because she's like, again, ostensibly just doing like kid shit. Mm-hmm. But she's always a little bit in the background. Yeah. Um, and but she's you, a real shitster. Yeah, she is. Which I think is um, like she gets like that from her mother. Like when she throws the luggage into the pool. Dude, that's the best fucking smash cut of this whole fucking movie. And yeah. it's the end of the movie. We're almost there. I cannot. Oh, I, I love that shot so much. I I forgot about it. And then mm-hmm. rewatching it when that happened, I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. I just pointed and laughed. Yeah. Yes. Tony Cameron is over. He wants to eat the snails. It's a whole thing. The snail shack. He's yeah. He's a fucking, you know, entrepreneur. He's doing work and. South America with whatever. And it's a bunch of bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's and it seems it seems like bullshit. Yeah, and he keeps doing that thing of like, uh, did I did I did I break up with you? I don't remember. And she's like, it's not important, you know. But you broke my heart. He's the first American I ever fucked. Yeah, she says a bunch of things to get him riled up. Yes. Oh, it's Vic. all it's all yeah. for Vic's. It's benefit. a show yeah. she's putting on. So Vic now starts like really fucking with with Tony. Um, this is when he says that like you know I want to eat the snails and he says you know their intestines have poison empty, you. They'll poison yeah. you, right? Okay, so then a little bit later, uh, Vic sees Tony, I guess, quote-unquote, by chance. Uh-huh. Tony's out walking. Vic pulls up in his SUV, and he's like, where you been? Melinda's been trying to get a hold of you. She found, like, a great plot of land for your fucking philanthropic whatever nonsense. Yeah, a great site to build on or whatever. Yeah, and he goes, oh, really? Uh, and he pulls, starts pulling his phone out, like, oh, she didn't text me, whatever. He's like, get in, I'll, I'll take you. He's like, oh, okay. Yeah. So Tony gets in, drive up into the woods to this gorge. He's like, yeah, it's a gorge. We used to go biking up here when I first started dating. And once he gets to the woods, he's like gunning it. Yeah, he is flying. And the the dog is just <laughs> hanging out in the background. Yes, Roger. They At one he's point they buy this little, this little adoptee dog. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, uh, the dog is just hanging out in the backseat. Laying there. (laughs) And, like, he is flying. Like, you know when you watch a Jeep commercial and they're like, this was a a train driver on an enclosed course or whatever. It's that. He's flying through the woods. And he's like, maybe you should slow down a little, Vic. And, dude, he's he's cool as milk Mm -hmm. about it. He's just like, "Mm mm-hmm. Just well, like flooring and it, it's and, so and funny. Tony's like his hands on the steering wheel are doing that real quick back and forth, yeah. Which n- people do when they're pretending to drive and it's really goofy. <laughs> yeah. But this is not that because he literally is like keeping the car yeah, from like flipping. It's so funny. And then he's like, maybe I should call Melinda. And he's like, yeah, go ahead, go call ahead, her. Go ahead and call her. And then he pulls his phone out. He goes, I don't have any service. He goes, oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, I forgot you won't have service. <laughs> and you can tell at this point that now he's afraid. Yeah, Tony is terrified. Yeah, he's like, oh, this guy's gonna kill me. <laughs> And so Vic, like, you know, crests this rise and, like, slams the brakes on. He's like, yeah, we're here. <laughs> Skids to a stop. It's like fucking Seinfeld. Like, he stopped short. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Tony, like, gets out of the car immediately. He's like, fuck. And it's so fucking funny. Like, as soon as Vic gets out, he's just, like, looking around. <laughs> Tony's, like, ten yards ahead of him or something. He's, uh, really? Up here? This, I mean, like, yeah, this is nice land, but, like... How am I going to put up whatever mm-hmm. hospital? Or I don't remember like, what it was. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember some bullshit, but he's like, really? And then 
Vix just has a big rock. And just... And he's like, yeah, well, you could just... And, like, he's still like, lying to him while yeah. he hurls a rock at him and it hits Tony right in the forehead. Right. And then he, like, touches his face He's, like, got he's blood bleeding. on his hands. He's like, what the... F-? And then Vic throws a bigger rock. Like a which really hits big rock. In, like, the sternum. Uh-huh. And, like, knocks him backwards and he falls down this hill. It's, Forever. Dude, it's, it's like fucking hot rod. It like, is the longest fall down a hill. And, like, it's brutal. The stuntman uh-huh. fucking, like, really went for it. And then he, like, busts his head open on these rocks. And then they cut to this scene, the, like, the, a close-up. Like, a real tight oh, shot yes. on Tony bleeding out from the back of his head. Yeah, just, like, blood pooling out from behind Dead. his head. Yeah. And it sits there for, like, a moment and a half too long. Because this is us, the audience, actually seeing Vic commit a murder. Right. It goes from... Uh, a thing that happened before we ever we're, met we're, Yeah, we're not sure if he did it or not. Right, we don't like, think so. This we is don't a rumor know. to yeah. like, oh, he's creepy, scared a guy away, but I don't think that guy died. Right. To like Charlie Delisle. He died, but we didn't see Vic do it. Vic We've says seen he didn't flashbacks do it. of him doing it, but so, we don't know that he no, did it. But that's interesting because like he's in the snail shack, baby. Uh-huh. <laughs> Tin roof. Rusted. Rusted. He's like, you know, bathing the snails or whatever, right. like under running water. And you can hear the water running. And then he's picturing drowning Charlie Delisle. But we hear the water running in the sink. So Is that when that happens? Yeah, that's one of them. There's two flashbacks. Because there's another one the... where he's on a bike. Yes. Okay. Wait, unless... One... Where did I put the snail? Where did I put my snail notes? <laughs> where are my snail notes? You might be right. Oh, it's him fantasizing about her fucking Charlie Delisle yeah, yeah, in the yeah. car. That's right. Yeah. They're like driving from somewhere. She starts like masturbating in the car and then she starts like jerking him off in the car. And I couldn't tell if he was imagining what happened. Right. Or if or that if was what was happening. Them. Oh, I thought it was that was like at first I thought it was that's what's happening now. But okay. I realized that you can only hear the water running throughout that whole scene. Uh-huh. So I was like, oh, this is like him imagining what his wife is doing. Right. And I think the next scene is when she comes home in the morning and he confronts her on the stairs okay yeah i think yeah this is just what he's imagining like because like the sound of the running water is what grounds us in reality and this is like a fantasy yeah and then during the bike ride i think it's a similar thing where we hear the sounds of him biking and we see him drowning charlie delisle Uh but it might plausibly just be him imagining what it would be like to have drowned Charlie Delisle. Right. Like right. I couldn't figure out if he was fantasizing about doing it or if he actually did it or right. if he was imagining how he would do it. Right. And so those things are really interesting in that way because yeah. be- because it could be either way. Like it could be him remembering, could be him fantasizing. I read it through like film language. I think it's fantasizing. I think mm-hmm. it's a fantasy. But then we definitely openly see him kill this guy. And then that right. long shot lingering on his dead, bleeding head is just... It's just Adrian Lyne going, yeah, he's dead. You see that, right? Because <laughs> remember, again, I'm Dr. Evil in this scenario. I'm Adrian Lyne. I directed a bunch of films. You've heard of me. He's dead. You see all the blood? He's a dead guy. Mm-hmm. It's just lingering on it. You can't imagine it away. <laughs> right. Uh, and then it cuts to the next shot. And it's him driving home. And the dog's like asleep in his lap. Yeah. And it's adorable. And he's like smiling. Very yeah. content. We see him uh, weigh the body down. So what he does is uh, he drags his uh, corpse into the water, stuffs his like pockets full of rocks and shit, takes his wallet. It takes a, a he takes his Tony's wallet, wallet yeah, out. puts it in his pocket. Po- yeah, pockets it. And then um, uses Tony's belt to like wedge a rock in his pants. And, but then he takes off his own belt and 
puts a big rock on Tony's chest and crosses his arms over it and uses the belt to like hold his arms together to hold the rock in place. Right. Then drags him out into the river real, you know, nice and knee high and deep and weigh him down and then he leaves. Yeah. And then it's him driving and the dog asleep in his lap and it's, it's very sweet. Um, <laughs> there's, a sh- there's a scene with them at the house and Melinda's like, oh, we should go on a family picnic to the gorge. And he kind of has, like, a the gorge. Like, why would yeah. you mention that? He asks them what they're doing. And the little girl is, like, packing up a bag. Yeah. She's like, Mommy's going to take me on a picnic. And Melinda's like, do you want to come? And he was like, oh, that would be great. Where are we going? And then she's like, the gorge. Yeah, he kind of has a, like, oh, fuck. Okay, why that? Yeah. And so they, they pack up and they go to the gorge. And that's when Mel- uh, Melinda and Vic are laying on a blanket, like a picnic blanket. And he presents her with the photography the magazine book, yeah. he works for, and it's this month's issue, and it's dedicated to her, and it's pictures he took of her, and pictures he took of her things, like her stockings and her shoes and yeah, whatever. Yeah, like all about her. Yeah. It's like a photo of their, a photo book of their entire relationship, kind and of. And it's the first time she really looks at him with any kind of, like, love or affection. Right. She sees that, like, this is, I think this is, like, you know a microcosm of like realizing it's like love language that yeah. discuss like this is Vic's natural love language. Right. Like he might not be a guy who is openly passionate or will get possessive. Some, some girls like that, you know, some partners yeah. like you to be possessive of them and be jealous and be territorial. Uh, some don't, you know, that kind of thing. But this is Vic's like love language. He will, he'll be like, Hey, I made this very like specific thoughtful thing for you. Right. And she kind of is like, Ooh, and she's into it. And uh-huh. they start, like, about to fuck on this blanket. Yeah. Which, this was the teaser for this movie, by the way. Is her, like, actively, like, giving him a hand job on a on a blanket. Really? Yeah, where she's like, are you bored of me? Like, and there's this, like, off ha- off-screen hand job happening. And I was like, I'm watching this fucking movie when it comes out. <laughs> yeah. Well, he that's when she forces him to finger her, but he's oh, into it. Yeah, a little bit. Because she also does it. The night she gets back from being out with, right. I guess it's Tony. Yeah, but he's less into it then. No, that's because that's the one where she's like, you know, this, you know, is this the new you? Are you going to throw me down and fuck me right. on the floor? And then he's like, oh, I'm not into it now. Yeah, like she was licking his hands and then it she, was she sticks thing. her fingers in his mouth and then his fingers move out of frame. Yeah. So. Steamy. And then steam comes out of their ears. <laughs> right. Um, so anyway, they're having this moment and then you hear. Uh, Trixie yelling, and he goes and runs it. She's like, yeah. she's fine, leave her. And he's yeah, like, she's no. like, I want to finish this hand job. Right, and he's like, no, and he takes <laughs> off and finds her, and he's like, you're too close to the water, come on. Yeah. And he ushers her and the dog back up the hill. And he sees, like, the like Roger's, like, waist, like, poking up. Yeah, he's, the... not, he's not as well-weighted as he thought. I guess and the he's... water level just went down. Well, or... it could be that. It also could just be that, like, people, when they're dead, fill with gas, yeah. and they become more buoyant. and. Right. The rock might not have weighted him properly, and maybe the rock's on the bottom now, and his back is... Right, you know. it might have flipped around. Who knows? Um, there yeah. might have been an animal that got involved. We don't know what happened, but he's floating now, yeah. where you can see him above the surface. So he realizes he's going to have to come back to handle this. But, like Vic, in typical Vic fashion, plays it cool. Yeah, he's fine. But then as they get in the car and they leave, Melinda says, oh, I left my scarf up there. And she says, like, oh, we can't go back now. Right, and he goes, oh, your scarf, uh, I'll get it tomorrow. This feels orchestrated now, where she intentionally left the scarf. Yeah, that feels weird. Like, yeah. it, when that happens, you're kind of like, ooh, lucky break. But then it's like, is it though? Like, it's very, right. yeah, it's Well, tense. because Don knows where to find him now. Right. He goes back up for the scarf. Don already found the scarf. Yeah. 
And Vic is trying to force Tony's body back down under the water. Yeah, uh, yeah. Vic bikes up there uh, the next early the next morning. Oh well, when they get back, Mel says like, "Will you sleep in my room tonight?" And oh, they yeah. actually have like, I would say like normal married sex, more normal married sex. Right. right. <laughs> it's not like oh we're drunk, we came home from the party and we're gonna like ass eat and fucking right, no. dirty talk. Uh, you know whatever. This is like oh this is like Tuesday night sex. Right. This is just regular. Yeah, and it's like I think the longest sex scene in the movie. Yeah, they also look at each other very affectionately. Yeah. It doesn't get the vibe of, like, a passionate one-night stand like the other one did. Yeah, this isn't, like, a fuck. It's a different vibe yeah. entirely. Um, yes, and then it's him biking up there the next morning, and he sees he's got Tony's body. He gets, like, a big stick. He's trying to, like, I don't know, I don't know what he's poke doing. it down to the bottom. Yeah, I don't know. We see, like, a figure in the trees, and then it's Don. Uh-huh. And Don's like, hey... What are you doing down there? And this is, as we mentioned, this is Vic Rattle. Uh, 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 yeah. his, hey! His voice pitches up yeah. to oh, hey, octaves. Hey, <laughs> yeah. He sounds like somebody grabbed him by the balls. Yeah, and it's the first time he's not in control, I guess. Right. And he's got the stick, like, he's hiding it behind his leg. Yeah, it's and not good. It's no, not... It's, he's like, what, what are you doing? He's like, I'm looking for... Ma- Melinda left her scarf. And he's like, yeah, I got this scarf. And he holds it up. He's like, yeah. oh, that, that's great. What are you doing with that uh, stick? Vic, uh, and he like pulls it out like, oh, what's this in my hand? Oh, it's a stick. Yeah, it's so weird. <laughs> and but since he's not holding the body down, it floats up. Uh huh. And Don actively sees it, and he's like, fuck, and then starts to run. And then he's like, I but got you. I knew it. He's and... like, I got you, motherfucker. Like yeah. whatever. But he starts like slipping on the fucking rocks, and uh-huh. I was like, Don, don't gloat until you're fucking in the clear. Right. So he starts running. He gets back to his SUV. Vic. In better shape and more, I guess, more familiar with the terrain, more prepared. Is riding his bike he, and catching up with yeah, the keeping speed. He gets speed. up there, hops on his bike, and he's keeping up pretty well for yeah. a minute. Well, and then Don gets into a straightaway, and it cuts to inside the car, and Don is like, you're going to catch me on your bike, motherfucker! Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, like I'm going to tell Kelly, I knew it. And he's trying to text yes. her. He pulls out his phone, and he's like, I was right. And he's like, yelling, and he's trying to text his wife, and he's trying to text, I was right, and autocorrects to like, I don't, I, know what I, I don't remember, yeah. I, I withdraw, or whatever. And he's like, ah, oh, typo! He's like, typo! <laughs> and then he drops his phone, so he's trying to pick his phone up. And as this happens, Vic... You know, because it's a straightaway, Don gets the lead, and Vic sort of, like, cuts off through the path, knowing that the road curves around and cuts right. through the woods. To cut him off. Right. And, okay, so Don is, like, not, doesn't have his eyes on the road. He's grabbing his phone so he can gloat text his wife about right. being right about their friend being a murderer. It's like, Don, dude, right. just do this. You can do this from the from police headquarters. Right. You gotta you gotta right. relax here. Do dude. it when you're safe. You're barely staying on the road as it is. And as Vic gets his bike out ahead of Don, he eats shit, falls in the road, and Don, I guess as a testament to Don being a good person, jerks the wheel so as not to, to run, run Vic over. over and fucking hits a tree, careens off the edge of the gorge, and like eats it on uh-huh. the bank of the river. And this is intercut. With Melinda packing a bag. Well, wait, Melinda's in the snail shack. She is. Oh, that's right. She's and she, she finds Tony's wallet. Yeah. So okay. I don't know why. So she's in the snail shack. She steps on a snail. Right. And which shouldn't happen. They're all in 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 habitats. 
And she like looks around and sees that one of the habitats, the lid is open and some of them have crawled out or are crawling out. So she lifts the lid to right. put them she, back in. And she looks and there's a, the wallet in there and she opens it. And it's Tony's wallet. Yeah. So does that happen before Don shows up? Is there any chance that that was why no, she sent No, it happens Don? after. Okay, it's after. So it gives the impression that she realized this at the same time that Don did. Right. Okay. So then she starts packing a bag. To get uh, her and Trixie, she's going to get them out of there. Right. We see like Trixie... Uh, dragging this fucking uh-huh. big big suitcase down like a wheeled suitcase down the stairs and you know it's intercut with all this so when you're watching this this is you're like this is Vic's life falling apart his mm-hmm. daughter's leaving his wife's leaving he's caught for murder like this is the downfall right and then this thing happens where he eats shit in the middle of the road and you're like oh he's gonna fucking die yeah and then Don jerks the wheel and Don dies and Don dies and that's intercut with Trixie throwing the suitcase in, in the, the water. fucking pool, it's the same like angle and shot as the truck hitting it, and I uh-huh. I howled. Oh my this god! This is like just that shot. There should be an Oscar for like that was a great fucking shot. <laughs> the whole movie's maybe not Oscar worthy, but that shot deserves at least like like an Oscar calf or something yeah. like one foot. I I agree. It's fucking great because that also it's a it's a rug pull for the audience because then it cuts to Melinda and Trixie and she's like Melinda's like what are you doing? Right. And Trixie says we're not leaving. And you're just like, fuck, she's her, she's her father's daughter. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, Don is fucking dead. And it's it's incredible because you're just like, Don, you were so close. Not not only to being right, yeah. but being the hero. Right. This and he's You were almost the, the hero of your own story right, there, Don. In the Don. car, he's like, this is definitely a movie. Yeah, he does say that. Like, he's gonna, he's gonna, he could parlay this into so many books and screenplays, yeah. Don, you son of a bitch. Right. But you had to gloat to your wife. It's about power dynamics. Uh-huh. And his downfall is power dynamics. It's incredible. It is. It's so fucking good. And. Holy shit. Then they cut to Melinda burning Tony's wallet. Yeah, so the last thing. The last two things. It's a mirror of the opening shot. It's uh-huh. Vic returning on his bike, undressing on the front porch. Right. And Melinda's sitting on the little side stairs, and he sees her, and he's like, what? And she says, nothing. And she goes upstairs, to the point where it's almost the same shot, oh, where for a second she, I was like... Well, and she's wearing the same dress and everything. Yeah. For a second but I was she, like, is this the opening? But it's not, though. But Well, because she says, I saw Tony. Uh, yeah. Or right? Tony came back or something. Something. She says something about that and then walks up the Tony steps. Tony came by or whatever. Yeah, something. She says, I saw Tony. Tony came by. Something like that. And then she goes up the steps and he doesn't say anything. Yeah. Um, and then she's burning Tony's wallet. Yes. And they're playing uh, the song Before I Ever Met You by Banks, which uh-huh. is like. That's the opening song as well. Oh, yes. You're right. Yes. Yeah. They mirror the whole it bookends opening. bookends the. Yeah. yeah. And, like, it's a very, like, 90s erotic thriller vibe to the song. It's, like, kind of techno-y and, like, right. it's dark and dancey with these, like, you know, kind of, like, sultry vocals. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. And, yes, she's burning Tony's IDs in a trash can. It gives real 90s erotica vibe. It's, it does. Yeah. It's the same thing as the book. Mm-hmm. She's realized that, like, this is Vic's love language. Like, it's not that he doesn't have passion. It's that it's in there. It just doesn't necessarily take the form that she was expecting i kind of wonder if she was only because okay there is a scene that we didn't actually touch on i don't think where she's talking to him or he says to her if you think i killed charlie aren't you afraid of me and she says no and he said why and she said because i'm the thing you killed for i think she gets off on that 
I think so, too. Because that's the passion she's looking for. It wasn't necessarily maybe the way she was looking for it, but it makes her feel valued. So maybe this is just the... This is the time, like the audience, maybe we are in the same basic shoes that she's in. Where right. This is now the time where we know for sure this is what happened. Mm-hmm. But yeah, now she's like, she's in it to win it now. She's like, okay, like he's got the passion. It's in there. Like he will literally kill for me. I mean, that's got to do it for you for at least a while. I guess. <laughs> if that's your deal. If that's what you're into. Right. And I love that okay. there's there's a credit scene. Yes, it goes to like normal credits and then... I'm trying to figure out what this, why this is, in the, except that it's adorable. But um, earlier in the in the movie, we mentioned Vic is driving Trixie to school, and they're singing uh, "You Make Me Feel Like Dancing" by Leo Sayer. And you know, she's singing, and it's cute, it's adorable. And they're also having a conversation about whatever, and it's plot relevant. And in the credits, I guess it's that whole scene. Yeah, they finish the scene yeah, out they, where they she sings the whole let her song. sing the whole song. <laughs> And it's great. It's super naturally, like, funny. And yeah. she's really, like, just a natural. And she's really into it. And it's not, she's not putting on a show. It's just, like, a kid singing in the backseat yes, of the car. Yes, it's not, like, a pageant, like, no. performance. She's, like, doodling in a drawing like book. A coloring with, like, book or she's, something. She's, like, colored pencil in each hand. Yeah. And she's, like, doodling and shit. And she, like, stops singing randomly because she's more interested in doodling. And then she yeah. picks it back up. It's like, I feel like dancing. She's like, whoa! Like, it's very cute. It's adorable. And then it just goes to black and, like, music plays over that. Yeah. And, like, I was trying to figure out, I'm like, wonder why that. The only thing I can think of, I mean, it could just be that it's cute. Adrian Lyon was like, oh, mm-hmm. this is too cute to cut out. But I think it's to underline that, like, this is, that's the most important thing for Vic. Right. Is Trixie. Like, maybe, maybe if Tony only wanted to run away with Melinda, it would have been, like, Whatever, whatever. let her go. Right. You're trying to cuck me. You want to eat my snails, and you want to take my daughter away from me to Brazil. Yeah, he's like, "Well, I'm gonna kill you with a rock." Yeah, it hit all the limits, <laughs> dude. It's fucking wild. Anyway, that's the movie. That's Deep Water. Yeah, that's the movie. Yeah. Uh, as an aside, I've been doing this for 108 episodes now, and uh-huh. I think I finally have a system that works for me for my notes. Nice. It took me forever. It takes time. Uh, well, I picked this, so I will. I will go first. I think this is a great watch. I think I gave it like three and a half stars the first time I watched it, and mm-hmm. I, I'm con- definitely considering upping my my rating with, with the second watch. I think it only works better on a rewatch, but it's not necessary to rewatch it to enjoy it. As I said, I like erotic thrillers, this genre, so I'm a little you know already in the pocket for it. But I think this is super competently made, and it's really interesting in a way that some other erotic thrillers or quote unquote erotic thrillers aren't. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I I watched. Uh, Indecent Proposal for the first time. And that's not really an erotic thriller, even though it gets lumped in with those a lot. It's an erotic relationship drama. It's okay. it's a re- relationship drama where we speak frankly about sex. But that's kind of it. There's not really any thriller aspect. There's never any danger. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that counts, really. Yeah, I uh, I think it's a great watch. I think it just teeters over the line, no. Okay. Would I say you have to see it? No. But if you're into erotic thrillers, I think this is a pretty good one. I think all the acting is really well done. I think it's well cast. I like a lot of the directorial choices. Yeah. The scenes, some of them are really sensual and pretty and... Oh, yeah. There's not a like very broad color palette in the no, movie. No, it's very blue cast. But it's very like prettily lit. You know, get the most out of a very intentionally limited color palette. Right. 
you know, I think working within boundaries is good for mm-hmm. certain things. And I think like limiting their color palette made them work to make things visually look different. Like these things look a certain texture and this is slick and this is glowing and this is, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And really liked that on a rewatch, especially. Mm-hmm. I do feel like it kept my attention all the way through. I really was very invested in what happened, what's going to happen. I'm watching it trying to figure out what actually happened. I know what I know. I know what you're telling me. Right. But I can't figure out what is reality and what is fiction. Yeah. And what's being made up or embellished. There's a lot of that. I I talk about this all the time in movies. The the really heavy-handed, like, foreshadowing of something. Mm -hmm. And letting you know, like, this is going to be important later. And there's a lot of stuff that is important later in this but it's not done in such a heavy-handed way that no. you are waiting for it to become relevant. No, you're it's, not waiting for the other shoe to drop. You're just kind no, of it's, taking it, happens, it all in. Then you go, oh, that's from earlier. Yeah. Like, so I think it's really well done. I think it could be more dynamic. And I'll say that because if you read the tagline for it, at least whatever comes up on Hulu, it talks about this picture-perfect marriage is disrupted or something. It says something like that. Yeah. And I'm like, I never at any point in this movie got the impression that they ever had a picture-perfect marriage. No. Unless you're implying that they are both beautiful people. Sure. I'll give you that. Yeah. But I don't see anything beyond that. I also don't think that, like, the people outside of their marriage think it's picture perfect. No, like, it's very clear that they don't think All their that. friends are very open in the introductory scenes of each of them individually that they know something is weird. Right. So... <laughs> so that doesn't track. I think if you that's what you were going for, you need to show a backstory flashbacks in some way of when things were better right? And just how us, everything ended up on the skids. Right. Or give us some scene of like from an outsider's perspective, how it looks perfect. Right. Where everybody thinks you are an ideal couple, yeah, but no, behind the scenes, that just seems different. like fucking, yeah. Mishandling of like, yeah, I think it was advertising. Like, Cause like, yeah, the opening scene is so weird and, and awkward yeah. that, you, you know, from you the know, gate. something's up and you don't even know what their relationship is yet. Exactly. Really. Like, so I think, you know, if you wanted me to feel that way, if yeah. you wanted me to feel like their relationship has ended up in this weird place yeah. and that it wasn't always like this, I would need more backstory on that. Like just from that opening scene of him uh, riding his bike up to the house and then like taking off his like sweaty workout biking clothes. And so her... if he doesn't wear socks, his feet smell terrible. I'm oh, sure. sure. He's rich. He can just point. throw those shoes away, get new shoes. That's true. <laughs> But like, and then her sitting on the thing and then, you know, that little, like you said, Mona Lisa smile. Mm -hmm. If you had told me, if you just showed me that scene and then brought the house lights up and been like, "Uh, this film is about a brother and sister who have sex. I'd be like, oh, okay, right on. (laughs) Yeah, like, I mean, it could could go any, any way. Yeah, it could be literally anything. And because that, that first scene is such a weird enigma. Yeah, it's very strange. It leaves everything up to interpretation, but I don't think any of those interpretations are that this is a a seemingly perfect marriage. No, that's weird. But I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, no, this was fun. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Of course. Would you like to direct people to your uh, social media endeavors? To my snail shack? Your snail shack. (laughs) Is that what we're calling it now? (laughs) Welcome to my snail shack. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram, Tina Dillon Art. You can also check out my link tree, l i n k t r dot e e slash Tina Dillon. And uh, you can also find a little link there for Hate Watch, Great Watch. That's true. That's a link to our link tree, which is 
L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash H-W-G-W, which has our social medias, where to find us on Movie John, where to find us on, you know, Apple and all the Spotify and all that sort of stuff. It has our Contact Us link. Um, it'll have links to where to find any movie that we're watching. And it also has a link to Tina's link tree. Did you, do you, well, do you remember the episode of Roseanne where they watched the snail sex? No. Really? It's an episode with DJ and his girlfriend who is played by Heather... She's from Welcome to the Dollhouse. Oh, uh, uh, Matarazzo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Heather Matarazzo is his girlfriend, and they go to a blockbuster-esque store, and they rent a documentary, and they come back, and they are watching Snails Have Sex in this <sighs> documentary, and they talk about how it's, like, the most erotic sex scene, and they're, like, describing it or whatever, and then they wind up making out on the couch. Get out of here. Yeah, you don't know that? I don't remember this. Oh, yeah, it's a great episode. Anyway, and then the, the credit scene, you know how, like, Roseanne yeah. would have, like, different things rolling? It was, like, the documentary with the snails having sex, and there was, like, a voiceover that was very David Attenborough-esque. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's a great episode. You should find Behold it. the snails. Yeah, it's like that. <laughs> look, look how hot it is. Tin roof, rusted. Oh my god. God, that's funny. No, I gotta look that up. That's oh yeah, great. you have to. It's a really <laughs> great episode. Holy shit. Alright. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank uh, you. To all of you listening, thanks for listening. And we'll see you in two weeks with a new episode that we haven't decided on yet. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Snail uh, Shack, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. Might have referenced Hoobastank more on this podcast than any other podcast. We're in the world. officially. I got. I got the notice in the mail earlier today. I, hope, I meant to tell you. Like, it was on my mind. We're the number one Hoobastank podcast <laughs> in the world. Not even just the nation. <laughs> We've mentioned it. They said too much. Yeah, I mean that's fair. <laughs> um, they said they're going to send our our medals in the mail, but there was like a tiny little like the footnote and a tiny little small print that was like the medals may in fact just be many copies of unsold Hoobastank CDs. Oh Jesus! So are they medals made from the CDs, or are we just getting the CDs? I don't know. Are we melting. Are we, if you melt down a Hoobastank CD far enough at high enough temperature, does it become a metal? <laughs> does it become a Hoobastank? <laughs> How does one summon a Hoobastank? <laughs> We almost did it. We're almost doing it again. If you stand in front of a mirror and spin around three times, (laughs) we're there. And sing The Reason. (laughs) If you light 13 candles in a dark bathroom and sing The Reason. This has been a Movie John Podcast. She's a fucking nightmare, dude.